0: This piece of content is brought to you by the Minis Forum HX77G, a fantastic little Windows gaming console that comes with a 6600M, a 7735HS, and honestly impressed me with its performance. Click the link in the description and make sure they know I sent you to support the channel and support yourself by getting this cool product. But also support the channel by using Broken Steel Con to get discounts on Windows keys at CDKeyOffer.com and on ViteRamen at the links below. And we'll talk more about those sponsors later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by one of those guests who's really become a regular, who comes on pretty much every year, which I was thinking of who to talk to this week. There's been a lot of stuff coming out of Intel, not just from the innovation event, but from Hot Chips and all these other things as well, that I feel like I haven't paid as much attention to as I could. I realized this guest would be perfect, and I... I went, well, wasn't it like a few months ago that he was on or something? No, if you can believe it, it's been 10 months since you've been on last time already. Uh And uh, I think you're a really great person in this space to talk to when it comes to anything having to do with stuff that's not just gaming, but server professional and actually understanding like what
1: makes, frankly, a good professional product. So please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Wendell. I'm from Level One Techs, computer janitor extraordinaire. I actually went to Intel Innovation 2023, and In, Intel sponsored my trip out there. And it's it's interesting because it's not really. It's kind of. I mean, they, they take advantage of the fact that it's going to be a media event, but it's becoming not really a media event. More like, mm. uh, let's show off what you can do and have programmers do stuff. And so it was really interesting to see that aspect of it. But but yeah, I saw a lot of cool stuff at Innovation and. Uh, I've certainly been kicking the tires on a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about. So it's a lot of fun, fun times. Yeah.
0: When I was at Hot Chips once, I went to another show, too. Really, I think the best information I gathered was talking to people outside of the presentation, behind the scenes. Not always stuff that you can really say publicly, but like actually speaking to an engineer who works at Intel and going, you know, I have the suspicion that this is this. And they'll they'll often be much more open than I think especially recently how much some of these media events are so choreographed now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we can't say that. It's like, that'll get us in trouble with the shareholders. And it's like, okay.
0: But, um, I guess what I do like to ask this though, since you were there, like what was the feeling in the room at the innovation event? Like how much confidence did you feel there? And, Because I've heard, because I think you said this to me offline, some things to this effect as well. Like, what were they saying that they weren't saying? Like, what is the feeling that you got about them, you know, like regarding which products they're actually confident in?
1: I I get the feeling that they were going to show more of um, Emerald Rapids than they did. But there were uh, Emerald Rapids systems on the show floor. They had a 288 core demo system on the floor for four or five hours and that sort of drew a crowd and they're like oh we gotta get this out of here so it went you know went back to the research lab or whatever um and so uh there were there hand. it's weird because there's hands-on stuff it's not really oppressive and there were classes and orientation and so like if you're a cio or uh you know a devops lead or something and you want to go learn about cxl and the kinds of things that it can bring is it it's new computer science it opens up a whole bunch of stuff and so that you can't you can come up with a marketing message, but a lot of the time it's easier to just show the smart people like, this is the new functionality that's offered by PCIe5 or CXL or you know this DDR5 or disaggregation of resources or whatever, and then let the people trying to solve those problems in those companies you know enjoy the new Lego brick that can be integrated into their solution, however it is. Um, there was a discussion about Meteor Lake. There, there was actually a lot of legitimately interesting stuff for AI and acceleration. Like, I mean, I know AI is a buzzword, but AI for warehouse packing and sorting and managing stuff that goes onto a conveyor belt and lots of stuff like that in manufacturing, uh, products are becoming so easy to use and easy to put together that people that have less computer science skills, less programming Mm -hmm. skills are going to be able to put together some really sophisticated manufacturing lines, which will have transformational ripple effects if the right things get into the right people's hands. Um, And so it was really interesting to see some of that at Intel Innovation. Intel Capital is there. So like if you have some of the investment banker Mm. people stuff, you know, it's like Intel Capital is investing in this and this and this and this and this and this and, and this, which you know, usually pays off. And usually they're using Intel hardware and all that kind of stuff. But it was interesting to see the the kinds of things that Intel capital is investing in and and the projects and that sort of stuff. So it was pretty electric, but it was also, it's kind of, it's a bit of a pivot for Mm -hmm. this event. And so I think that if Intel continues their trajectory toward, you know, developer event and brass tacks and you can play with this. So like in their hands-on labs, they had instances set up in the the Intel developer cloud where you can literally go hands-on with CXL devices. You can literally Mm -hmm. go hands-on with AI. There was an AI contest to, uh, come up with uh, rock lyrics and uh, you know, a rock like a cover band photo using AI, generative AI and a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you've never used those technologies, it's like, sit down. This is what you run. This is what you download. This is the GitHub project. Be very illuminating. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess I I, I'm kind of tempted to just jump into that question right now. Actually, like how do you feel about Intel in AI and, and, and genuinely about their ability to make, different custom products for people in the future. Cause I think those are really the ne- the next two real wars. It's not just, can you put chiplets together, but can you do it in a way that allows a customer to make their own version of an SOC that's tailored to them without taking two years to make <laughs> it, you know, like actually order the hamburger you want out of different tile patties, if you will like that. And then how AI relates into that, because the people I talk to behind the scenes right now, they mention NVIDIA for AI, and then frankly, they mention often Meta or a few other companies, and then they mention AMD. I don't hear a lot of mention of Intel, and it's, it's not easy to just say they talk about AI because, I mean, even AMD talks about AI constantly with Phoenix, even though its AI engine isn't <laughs> really the point of getting Phoenix yet. They all feel like they have to talk about AI. I wonder what your thoughts on that are.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the Intel Innovation Press, the part of it that was press-oriented was definitely extremely AI-heavy. But I think that's because that's what's got everybody's attention now. It's like, oh, if we figure out the AI thing, it's a license to print money, so we have to talk about it, which is being overshadowed by the, the actual legit AI breakthroughs, which is <laughs> it's like we can't talk about AI because then we talk about the pie-in-the-sky AI as opposed right. to the locally disruptive uh, AI that's happening. Intel for a lot of things, Intel legitimately does have the goods. I mean, AMX is a a very nice evolution, Um, and you know the mess that that has become AVX five twelve getting reined in. You know, it it took a a team probably of 200 IQ people to get to get it to get that kind of a plan together, and the plan looks good. It remains to be seen if the plan is going to be pulled off, but the uh, the plan looks good. I, I like to see the experimentation on the AI side. So when you're talking about like tiles, I'm thinking Ponte Vecchio. You know, they showed off Ponte Vecchio, and it was like, how okay how are you get this is a this is a crazy leap forward in terms of packaging technology to mm-hmm. say nothing of the function of the chip but do we really expect this to 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 pull things off do we really expect this to happen because
0: right, isn't the point really not that you can do it but that you can do a version of it that's tailored to a customer yeah. in a short amount of time
1: yeah exactly exactly and, or at least that's what that's that was one of the marketing messages and so does it does it really take shape like that do you also have your own tiles but what if Nvidia comes in and says okay mm-hmm. we're going to use your packaging technology with with our tiles that's in the keynote they show that off it was TSMC so Intel is doing TSMC lithography mm-hmm. plus their own on one package and that's not the first time Intel's done that i mean there was also uh, KB Lake the AMD GPU on with yes. an Intel CPU is like the unholy abomination i got one of those just for because i mean how could you not I, I did too i uh
0: i had pretty bad throttling issues in the laptop i had because like it, w- it was this is a thing that you don't see as much in laptops anymore but I like 10 years ago there'd be these gaming laptops where they would the boosting was not well tailored and tweaked and so it would go from like two gig or whatever it was right like 1.5 gigahertz to 0. 0.8 and back and forth, and if you're playing back then like Far Cry 4, what th- that means is you're going from 60 to 30 frames a second. And I'm like, could you just keep it at one gigahertz and not fluctuate? Because there's nothing I can do to make this work.
1: Should the power budget go to the CPU or should it go to the GPU? Ah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that you know, it's it's very uh, very much the case that we haven't figured it out yet. But you have you have other companies like Neural Magic, which are doing CPU based inferencing. And so, you know, they would say that having a lot of cores is a perfectly viable way to get to the bottom of some of the AI stuff. So the uphill battle for Intel is building their software ecosystem along with the hardware and then demonstrating its capabilities. There's a little bit of that at at innovation. Um, If you're a Red Hat OpenShift customer, there's some really, really cool stuff with uh, flex GPUs. and integration of flex gpus into OpenShift, so you can shift Mm. container workloads between machine learning and vdi and raw compute with at least with amds or at least with intel's uh flex series of gpus and one thing with the flex gpus also is that for the vdi side they're going to offer license free vdi which is kind of disruptive if you can get Mm. your hands on them and if you know cuz Intel's very worried about qualification and integration and you know it's like some rando like me is like oh look I, I deployed a proxmox cluster with a bunch of flex GPUs and it's like oh, we didn't spend months certifying that i don't know if we can even you know it's mm-hmm. like but but it's like come on as long as you got a, a reasonable if you if you pass the WHQL there's not too much to worry about for the bog standard um VDI use case and so there's a lot of those battles that, are, that Intel has yet to fight, um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think that that um, Intel's at a disadvantage with some of those uh, contemplated use cases, but they could get there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I but I've heard from people behind the scenes is that well, you know, Nvidia's got. I, the way I think about um, what's going on with the um, in quotes AI bubble and how Nvidia is capitalizing on it right now is it's like a it's like there's a gold rush that was just discovered and Nvidia happens to be the only people selling shovels in the small town right now <laughs> right like that that's how I think about it and and their software is established they seed universities with these kits that are all Nvidia people learn on Nvidia and the industry kind of uses their stuff as a standard and so they've just They're on the floor. And that's why I think, well, obviously, their uh, AI stuff is selling so well right now. It's not just that they have a a good chip that launched at the perfect time. It's that they have the software everyone's used to using. And so if you're going to try to hit the ground running, you're probably not going to use something that could take two months to program or something Uh, like. And I kind of hear the opposite with Intel, though, that indeed, like you know, especially with a lot of enterprise people, it's just, did yeah, the hardware looks good. Does the software do what I want it to right now? And I I just hear a lot of hesitation there on if they think Intel software on that, on that side is ever going to really get to where it needs to be, because yes, it's going to improve, but NVIDIA is also going to improve at the same time. And so is AMD. And I think that's kind of like the upward battle AMD has been fighting is. You compare like AMD enterprise gpu or ai products to what they had five years ago oh it's world's better it's probably better than what an intel uh than what nvidia had years ago but nvidia is not in the past they're now and i wonder how you see like that upward battle going with intel and and amd versus nvidia as well because it's not just about if they're getting better are they getting better faster than nvidia is
1: Ah, uh, see it's it's the i think the right answer to your question is nvidia is not improving Fast enough to keep up with the the monster that they've created, yeah. because because they are their own bottleneck at this point. It is only going to be dramatically advantageous for their competitors. Mm-hmm. Stated simply, a forty thousand dollar H one hundred is also not good for Nvidia. I mean, I'm sure selling a ten thousand dollar you know, target price GPU for $40,000 is good in the short term. But in the long term, that creates a huge budget in people that are contemplating buying an H100 to not buy an H100, mm-hmm. which will accelerate the software ecosystem for everybody else. But everybody else that's building that ecosystem in a in a, in a climate where there's a $40,000 H100 is cognizant of, oh, let's not get married to a particular hardware platform, they're going to do it as generically as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the most benefit to Intel for this this climate, and it's somewhat beneficial to, to AMD. And what I'm saying is is easily provable because AMD is kind of competing with itself when it comes to hardware versus raw compute between mm-hmm. their cDNA cards, which are typically used in the enterprise and and our cards, which are typically used for gaming. If you want to if you just want the least amount of money per unit to compute. Mm-hmm. Our DNA is the undisputed champion of most compute per dollar right now. To the extent that uh, very well funded venture capitalists, I'm talking about you know Tiny Grad and and, and George Hotz's company, um, are, decided to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. They're like, we don't even need AMD software stack. We're just going to do it ourselves. The hardware's got the goods. We've verified the hardware's got the goods. We're going to build our own software stack. For RDNA three, and we're going to buy a hundred million dollars of GPUs to put our money where our mouth is, and they're they're doing it, and that is not good for the forty thousand dollar H one hundred.
0: You know, and that's something um, that's something I've heard. Like, because sometimes I'll be on these calls with like people more on like the investing (laughs) side, and and they'll bring up, well, Nvidia's the best, so you know they have to become this ten whatever number gets you excited, ten trillion dollar company or whatever, and they're like. And I'm like, yeah, but what's, I've always said, what's the market worth now? And I don't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, it'll be like, you know, the market's worth like 30 billion or soon it will be. And they think it'll be worth like 300 billion in like five years or whatever the number is. And I go, so you think NVIDIA is going to make enough cards for 10 times the market it has now. You don't think there's any chance these other companies are going to <laughs> fill in part of that pie, especially when you consider that right now, NVIDIA is just the first to sell shovels. I mean, am I 300X? And soon I know there's a 350X coming and 400. Those all are going to be monsters.
1: Well, go back five years ago before NVIDIA was the darling and go back to the demos that Google was doing at Google I.O. They did, you remember the Duo demo where you had an AI assistant and it was like, hey, you think you could get us a table at yeah. Mario's restaurant? And it's like, I don't know, I'll give that a try. And then it was everybody was just like, oh, this is insane. And then when you talk to Google and say, Google, where's my AI assistant? I need need my large language model. I need my AI assistant. Google said, well, the world isn't ready. And then Mm -hmm. OpenAI came in and said, look at us, large language model. Woo, stable diffusion, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Tensor hardware, TensorFlow hardware is way less relevant today than just the flood of CUDA. But if you thought Mm -hmm. that, you know, could true yeah could, could tensorflow propel google to a five trillion dollar company before nvidia certainly the answer to that five years ago was nvidia who like what what's nvidia i mean there there's it's a toy ai you're you're learning in an academic environment but you're not you're not getting the job done but the hardware was inaccessible and the costs were too high and mm. we to you know we're in a world where if you have the breakthrough you're willing to pay for the h100 but the vast majority of people are not going to have the breakthrough. And so the H 100 will not have been a wise investment. But the problem is you don't know, you don't know where to do the allocation. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, it's going to be a wise investment for some people to get the H 100, but not everybody.
0: Um, melodic warrior writes in and he says, hello, and welcome back to my favorite plumber in this PC space. I just wanted to get your thoughts on AMD's more recently, aggressive push into AI with Radeon. I'm wondering if you have noticed any parallels between what they have been doing with LLMs and PyTorch versus the rate at which new software features are being added to the gaming hardware and software space. One more question What are your thoughts on Smart Access Video? And have you tested it yet with the newest preview driver? Thanks and a pleasure as always.
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack there. On the AI side, if you look at the hardware architecture for CDNA and RDNA, there's a lot in parallel. You know, mm-hmm. they, it's, it seems pretty clear that they th- there's a lot of commonalities. There's a lot of lessons learned from one applied to the other. Um, if you look at, you know, the Vega products, clearly early on, I think AMD thought that they would be able to get a gaming something out of something that was really just designed for amazing compute. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think, well, they, think were,
0: they ran out of money. Right. And <laughs> yeah, so
1: they yeah. needed something that could do it all. And uh, it it seems like, okay, where we are now with RDNA 3 and CDNA, it seems like AMD has been pretty careful to make sure that the the fork in that family tree doesn't get too far apart. So maybe Mm. someday we'll see those uh, merge back together. But what's driving interest now in RDNA is that I think that they're starting to realize that, well, okay, the AI ecosystem uptake is kind of driven by people that are playing with this on their own. Um, and then in parallel to that, you have very smart computer scientists like George Hotz looking at how much raw compute you get on RDNA 3 and saying, wow, this is really wasted. I can buy a thousand dollar GPU or I can buy a five thousand yeah. dollar know, enterprise GPU or a forty thousand dollar H100. And at the end of the day, my my linear algebra is happening as fast or faster on the thousand dollar GPU versus the one that costs forty thousand dollars. The gap is the software. This is, this is what mm. made Linux take over the universe everywhere. In the beginning, there was no Linux. And it was a hodgepodge of a whole bunch of different systems. And then Linux completely took over the universe literally everywhere except for desktop computing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it will be like that with AI software. And so I think AMD recognizes that, which is why they invested in PyTorch. Why they've partnered with, with uh, uh, Hugging Face and why they're doing so much with Meta. I mean, meta in their data centers is basically power constrained Mm -hmm. and they've, they've made commitments apparently to meta and meta is very satisfied with those commitments. And so we see meta deploying um, AMD hardware at a very large scale to deal with the constraints of what they've got to work with in the data center. Um, And so I think those things, AI, this kind of being a wild west of AI you really you really have a hard time predicting the future you know even yeah. cpu based inferencing is not down and out for the count there are certain things in ai where having lots of general purpose cpu compute cores is more advantageous than a gpu too mm-hmm. so
0: could go any which way yeah that's something um that's something i've told people too that i don't even know if i have that much to add on besides just saying it like if which I think is a better way to summarize the point I tried to make earlier about like the market going from whatever it is now 30 billion to 300 billion it's like all right but if you think it's going to go from 30 billion to 300 billion why are you sure you know how it's going to get there that's 10 times the number <laughs> <laughs> and you're just sure it's going to be because one company or two make it i think i think if it's going to get 10 times bigger that means we don't know who is going to win yet and right now we just have early winners
1: yeah and is there anything in the early win that is going to cement a one company's lead over the other? Right. And the answer has to be uh, no. And it is a strong disadvantage if the current leader has forty thousand dollar GPUs that are supposed to be ten thousand dollars. Like mm-hmm. the market notices that it's like it's not it's supply and demand, but unsustainable.
0: Yeah, I mean, because it's not – well, and I've – I guess, you know, I mean, I certainly have access to Google right now. Um, on a call a week ago, um, I, w- I was told some people, you know, it sounds like H100s are getting a little easier to get. Like, before I was told that there were situations where people were, like, buying up HP servers, throwing these Xeons or Epic chips on eBay, and then selling the H100s for, yeah. like, 40 grand. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like
1: – Yeah, the, the, the pricing has gotten me? a little better, but –
0: and they're on eBay, H100s for around 30000 all of a sudden. So it's like, well, all right. But if someone's willing to sell it on eBay for the price people couldn't get it for before, that means that the price behind the scenes, some people are probably already getting it for less than that. And the price is probably already below forty grand for most people all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, – I don't – I had one – <laughs> I had one contact that was annoyed because they had a, a um, an existing cluster that used a lot of, I think, V100s, and they mm-hmm. went with Ethernet instead of InfiniBand, and so they were just trying to get InfiniBand cards from NVIDIA, and the the sale, I'm not sure, I think it was HP handling the sale, but it, it basically came down to, okay, if you upgrade your entire system we can get it for you in a couple of months. But if you just want the InfiniBand cards, it's gonna take like six or eight months. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. the V one hundreds are still doing it for us. We don't really need H one hundreds. And they're like, No, you must take the H one hundreds. It's like uh, Do oops. you really need it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's there the supply chain is still even at thirty grand, that's a ten thousand dollar card, not yeah, you know, something's It's not good for anybody and then nvidia is going to overproduce it's gonna it's we've already seen how this plays out with crypto like oh we we made a bazillion of them and it's like well i've got some bad news
0: zay three writes in and he says hey tom and wendell do you think the current ai boom is a bubble how does it compare to the crypto bubble you had to make a rough guess what do you think the ai market looks like in two years and actually you know because this is something i've gotten into debates with people on the show uh, over the past couple of months, it's like, I, I think obviously AI is in a bubble right yeah. now, but just because I think AI is in a bubble doesn't mean I think all of it's worthless. We keep seeing this, you know, no one's going to use pets.com, but Google succeeded and like <laughs> I, I, I could start naming random altcoins but i'm not going to because i don't even <laughs> want to plug them it's like well you know bitcoin's still el salvador and like they're an in Venezuela whale and it's still used but no nobody needed to make a dating app on the blockchain guys like, no <laughs> one needed to and i think ai's i can't i can't help but suspect there's a ton of companies out there buying up h100s and stuff for ai and then they're going to realize they're not even sure what to do with it
1: yet yeah yeah that is exactly it they've convinced someone that has a lot of money that the only thing preventing them from having just vastly more money is that they don't have a couple of racks full of h100s and that's where a lot of the it's just that fomo is is uh is uh fomenting some really insane stuff and yeah it is absolutely a bubble now could we see major breakthroughs in artificial intelligence that completely changed the landscape mm. of what we experience in our daily lives every day. Oh, absolutely. That it, I mean, absolutely. It, it uh, you know, imagine they figure out the warehouse robots or uh, yeah. cross country driving or, or or some of the very common um, jobs that we have here. I mean, in, in less than a generation, it's gonna be an, an amazing and also brutal transformation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that will drive hardware adoption. But I think once, once the secrets of that are unlocked, what we're able to do with the hardware that we have is probably going to change. It's, it's probably not going require, to require so many transistors um, to get the job done. That,
0: see, that's what I suspect as well with a lot of just the um, scope of how many of these cards are being bought for AI. In fact, talking to some of my contacts at Micro Center they I don't know if it's still true, but it probably is. They'll say, like, half of the people buying a 4090, like in the checkout line or the sales rep, will go, um, you know, man, this is gonna be a lot of fun to play with, don't you think? And they'll go, oh, I'm using it for AI. They're like <laughs> half of the people buying 4090s yeah. are using them for AI. And I can't help but think, like, a lot of these don't need to be as strong as they are, too. Like a lot of companies. Like they might want to train a model. Okay, well, you've trained it. Do you still need 1 million H100s once yeah. you've trained it? Uh, did you actually need to not train it as much as you thought or half of the things you were training, turning out to be useless products? I think there's going to be a lot of that.
1: Yeah, there's there's already on on hugging face. There are 7 billion parameter models that far outperform, you know, the 20 or 30 or 40 billion parameter models. And Some of that is training and some of that's just because this is the Wild West of of this kind of thing. Um, There's a lot of, I think that large language models are also sort of the darling of the bubble. There's a lot of other non large language model AI stuff happening that isn't getting anywhere near the attention. And it probably is true that having ubiquitous access to a ridiculous amount of computing horsepower is going to be transformational. But in the way, like in the 80s, is like all the compute horsepower was in centralized mainframes and then it moved Mm. to the desktop. And then that paved the way for, you know, the insane computing revolution of the 80s. And so having everybody have access to a 4090 on their desktop probably is going to be the same thing. But the question is, is like, are we in 79 right now? Is it 82, 83? Is the Internet explosion about to happen? I don't know where we are on the curve, but we're, we're at the bottom, I think. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm trying to th- the only thing that would make me think is it's not just at the start right now is if it's like we figure out the first things we can do with this way faster than we thought, like we're all they're, they're trying to do everything with AI models right now, and then if we just find out. Oh, self-driving still 10 years away (laughs) and actually half of these personal assistant apps don't work. Uh, But yeah, we can make thumbnails quicker and (laughs) we just made all the stock photo companies go out of business. So there's that. But because I think it's just going to get to like. But I don't know if it's going to be in a year or in five or 10 years, There's going to be like probably a halfway crash where there's like a plateau of what we can even do with this until the next breakthrough in AI. I just don't know if that's going to happen in a year or two from now. And it's not saying the AI bubble is over. It's just saying maybe it takes an intermission, (laughs) you know, or if it's just going to innovate, you know, full steam ahead and we actually will just get self-driving finally figured out in five years. But I can't help but remember people telling me 10 years ago, we'll have self-driving in every car by 2020 and now it's
1: 2023. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it's like, oh, it turns out full self-driving it was a little harder than anticipated and it's like, mm, yeah, yeah. Well, we have these
0: drones flying themselves <clears> around and it's like, yeah, they're in the sky there's nothing they can hit. <laughs> of course they can fly themselves. Now try to go on a bumpy road in Southern Illinois and let's see how that self-driving car does. Joseph Kelly writes in and he says, Hi Tom and Wendell. I'm a proud Patreon of both Level One Techs and Moore's Law's Dead. Thank what you. What sort of yes and thank you as well for me. Uh what sort of AI features would you like to see in AMD's future GPU and CPU products? And is there any insights on when AMD will have the full Rockham SDK on Windows? Are we missing things like am I open with PyTorch it needs to work in Windows? I'm loving the Rockham powered llama text in- inference. I don't know what that is. I get, but I want more. Thanks for <laughs> both of your channels and great work you guys
1: do. So it, it's a really interesting thing happening right now with the whole like uh, Windows support. And not on the AMD side, on the NVIDIA side. The native Windows support for that is basically going away. Mm. I I don't know if that's official, but I'm just telling you that, like, as a practical matter, don't bother. Um, But that's not to say that you can't do it on Windows. The way to do it on Windows is actually under the Windows subsystem for Linux. What Mm -hmm. NVIDIA has done is make the driver for Windows and the platform accessibility features uh, under WSL work fairly seamlessly. I did a video on... Um, the ultimate machine learning system with a Falcon Northwest system based around a Sapphire Rapids W56 uh, core processor, also with a 4090, because obviously. Mm-hmm. And-
0: uh, Well, if you're going to buy a CPU that requires that kind of cooling, you might as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, come on. So, um, and that is for CUDA, for the CUDA platform, that is an exceptional platform for learning. And even though historically, NVIDIA has had decent to good support in windows natively and with Python natively and Cuda natively on windows. Uh, the WSL support I would say is at parity, if not even more first class. So you can mix Cuda and Docker, which is Docker native for windows, which is still not dude. Do, Docker natively on windows is not, doesn't have anything to do with WSL, but you can control it from WSL. And then the Cuda's binaries that are on windows or on WSL, are basically lightweight wrappers that feed into the Windows side. But it's surprisingly seamless, given the split-brain personality that you're dealing with when you're dealing with the Windows subsystem for Linux on Windows. And so AMD is in kind of a a similar rough spot. Like, I don't think it makes any sense for, for AMD to put resources into supporting a Windows ecosystem and workflow for that. They're much better off doing whatever plumbing they need on Windows to just make it to where you can get to it from the Windows subsystem for Linux, and that's going to be more of an analog for what you get in the cloud and remotely accessible and blah, blah, blah. Um, If you have a really good, if you have, I think, a 7900 XT or a 7900 XTX, uh, the support is a little more first class in PyTorch and and Rock'em. For things like stable diffusion on on their GitHub, as a matter of project policy, they just say, it's like, we don't want to support AMD's... Um, ecosystem and so there's a fork of stable diffusion or mm. automatic 111 I'm sorry Aut- automatic 111 is a front end for stable diffusion but there's a fork of automatic 111 that is uh, more tuned for Rockham. and we'll see more of that and that kind of thing will be more accessible on the Windows subsystem for Linux so if you can deal with the web- Windows subsystem for Linux you're going to have a pretty good experience with that in the not too distant future
0: okay This piece of content is brought to you by the Minis Forum HX77G. It includes an unhindered version of the 7735HS and 6600M, meaning that the APU boosts to 54 watts, and the 6600M boosts past 2.4 GHz, basically giving you a desktop RX 6600 that uses less energy. And you can also equip it with up to 64 gigabytes of DDR5 and terabytes of Gen 4 PCIe storage and i'm gonna be honest actually this thing impressed me my girlfriend has been using a smaller apu only minis forum system since spring this year and once again this year i surprised her with an early christmas present that wasn't that much bigger than her old little pc but yeah that 6600m it boosted its performance over the rembrandt apu more than i expected it to and honestly this navi 23 gpu had no issues running hogwarts legacy at almost all ultra settings locked at 60 frames at her full resolution which is 2520 by 1680 it's running locked 60 above 1440p ultra hogwarts this thing can do it and even metro exodus worked fine i could get it running above 1440p again it high settings that's a fully ray traced game uh, no you're not gonna be doing 4k 120 uh, unless it's an older game nor will you easily be doing 1440p 240 but 1080p was a complete joke with this little system even at 144 hertz and at the native resolution of 1680p 60 hertz wasn't an issue with almost all games running at maxed out settings. And this thing was actually whisper quiet as well, consuming less energy than a PS5 while not making almost any noise. And look, if you wanted more RAM or storage, it's easy to open up and add it yourself. And it comes at a pretty attractive price. Support Moore's Laws, dead by clicking on that link below. Just clicking on the link below to the Minis Forum website to look at the product helps this channel a ton. But if you do want it, get it through that link and make sure they know that I sent you. I'd appreciate it. And I think a lot of people would appreciate this project. I legitimately mean it. It impressed me. Check out the Minis Forum HX77G today. Um, Well, actually, I want to now pivot a bit to something you briefly touched on, um, which is GPU, because I think it's a little... uh, You know, I don't know. I have to be careful because I don't want to... People read too much into what I'm saying, but it is like Jensen said in the future, all apps will run on (laughs) blockchains. And that's why our graphics cards are selling. The second the crypto bubble ends, it's (laughs) all in on the AI bubble. And there there does seem to be some lingering side effects of thinking everything can be be a bubble forever. All of their products can. And at the same time, though, we have seen finally price drops happen with like the forty seventy. The 4060 Ti 16 gigabytes. you can now find those $50 below MSRP. You're seeing a lot of cards drip below MSRP unofficially as well. And the 7800 XT launched with a bizarre name, I think, but, you know, priced where it should be for its performance. And it's, to this day, uh, as far as I've checked recently before I started recording, kind of hard to get in most regions. And the 7700 XT is starting to kind of sell through as well, and the 4070 is picking up in sales after, you know, being regularly found for like 550 or something. So, I don't know, you, you did a video where you seemed to really, really like the 7800 XT. Um, and we got in a few questions for, from patrons about it. Um, let me read one here. Compressor Earthbox writes in. Does Tom and Wendell, how do you guys feel about the GPU market after the Navi 32 launch? Do these hit the sweet spot for gamer, that gamers have wanted for over a year now? More importantly, will this anchor future mid-range pricing that is accepted by PC gamers? Because and I do think this is an interesting point because I do think there was this opinion that AMD and especially NVIDIA had of like, well, they hate everything. And it's like, no, we hate a $1,200 103 die. Like, <laughs> if you sell something for a better price than last gen with more ram. Actually, we will buy it and it's still selling well. So I'm wondering if you're thinking this is kind of the start of the trend back to a more I don't think we're going back to, you know, $300 mid-range cards, but back to a more normalized pricing structure, you know, out of these companies.
1: I think I think we almost had a normalized pricing structure from the 6000 series cards from from AMD. I think at the last mm-hmm. minute they were just like, "Yeah, you know, the market would probably bear an extra $50 or $100 bump." in the price of these cards or maybe partner, you know, partners were enduring inflated component costs and maybe that was part of it. Um, but I think that what happened is that people looked at the insane performance of the 7,900 XTX and the the 4090 and historically, like you got to go back like 17 generations for this, but historically when we're talking about you know like the 980 or the 1080 there wasn't a huge difference between like the 1080 and the 1080 ti okay that one there was actually a pretty big difference but historically the card that was twice as expensive was not that much better Mm -hmm. but the 7900 xtx was breathtakingly dramatically better and the 7900 xt was not really that much worse but it was also a lot cheaper So if, like, the 7900 XT was hundreds of dollars cheaper, like, you know, I don't know, $600, and the 7800 XT was, like, $400, I think that it would be, like, people would be freaking out and saying, oh, my gosh, this is an incredible deal. It's really, it's a compelling value. But I think we're also sort of stuck in this weird situation where there are a lot of people that just have their brand, and they just, they don't want to try a different brand. And so it's this weird juggling act where... You know, if AMD priced something extremely aggressively and they got the volume to be able to price it extremely aggressively, then they win in terms of profit margin and next generation products and, and that kind of thing. But uh, I don't, I don't know that they're, I don't know that the economics of it really work that way. But if it did, then I don't know that they would be brave enough to try that. And the seven thousand eight hundred is maybe, maybe, maybe a toe in the water of trying that because it is. You know inflation and global macroeconomic conditions notwithstanding in the landscape of everything else it's a very competent card that gives you some of those high-end features lets you experience really amazing fidelity and gameplay and the software stack is basically there at a time when it seems like nvidia is looking at how much you know silicon they're giving you and they're saying we're going to give you more performance i'm thinking specifically about the 4060 versus 3000 series Mm -hmm. Like We'll give you a DLSS for frame generation as a way to get your generational performance bump. Otherwise, the performance is very similar. I just I find that distasteful.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I think everybody did is as far as I can tell, the only cards that have really sold well from NVIDIA this gen is the 4090 because, well, they actually brought. Nearly double the performance for the same price as last gen.
1: Yeah, Surprise. it's like the 4090s over here, and then everything else is just, and it's, so people want that, but it's like, I don't, in the past, it really, like, you're not imagining it. It really, you could spend a little bit less and have something almost as good, but it's not like that anymore.
0: Well, so it's interesting because I, I think AMD, and this is just my opinion, of course, but I, I think AMD <clears throat> has always, perplexingly not understood what people want like and they've either overshot or undershot like what was necessary to have a successful product like i i've had this this thought for a while like is amd actually going to figure out what people want people want a $1000 7900xtx right they do not want the xt to be 100 less though i don't know why yeah. you thought they did <laughs> you steve from hard Run box when he came on broken silicon last said because I, I said that people I talked to at AMD legitimately thought $900 was going to be well uh, accepted well. And Steve said, I talked to a rep at AMD and told them the review won't be good, and they were surprised. <laughs> like, they <laughs> thought $900, so 10% less for something, 20% worse was for some reason going to be this mind blow I think they got – I think sometimes these companies or people at these companies get so kind of like tunnel-visioned in a small dark room – trying to play 5d chess that they lose 2d chess <laughs> like, like and they forget that like just because the 40 80 12 gigabyte existed briefly doesn't mean that it was a good idea and you should respond to it maybe you should just ignore a mistake from your competitor i i, I don't know but you know if you look in the past though basically every card where amd is done crazy well whether it's the 3870 or 4870 or 7970 or the 290X, I think they were more aggressive than they needed to be. And then when they had a product that could have been good, they just didn't understand it just needed to be 10% cheaper. Like, because I I did a video recently called AMD's Blueprint for Success, which basically made the argument that, like, all AMD needs to do is roughly be 30% better. And people will just buy it in droves over NVIDIA. And they don't always need to be 30% better. I'm just saying that's when it will sell out. And even 20% better is probably enough. And a couple of people in the comments were like, well, duh. And it's like, not duh. AMD sold the 290X for half the price of a Titan. They didn't need to. They could have charged 700 for that. And people would have bought it. And I just wonder if AMD's finally figured out with like the 7900 XT finally selling well at 750 and the 7800 XT selling out at 500, like, Oh, we don't need to sell our stuff for half the price, just for like twenty-ish percent less.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that the the physical design of the seventy-eight hundred was designed to try to you know meet the margin goals. It's like you know every generation we get a little bit a little bit better, better margin, but um, there was a I was helping somebody put a system together. Like this was probably in April or May. It was right before Computex. And that was when the 6,000 series prices were starting to come down. And Mm. so I was like, okay, this is the kind of performance that you can expect from like a 6750. I think it was that that was right after was that right after the 7,000 series launches? Maybe it was maybe it was. I can't remember. But, but you might
0: be thinking of like a year and a half ago, not six months ago, or yeah. like the 6750XT came out for 550 for some reason, right at the end of last gen, and then quickly dropped in price. And they've kind of been pushing that card for below 400 really hard for the past eight months.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, I'm trying to remember, but we did we did a 6750 and a 6950 and and then I think uh, 7970. Mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of NVIDIA cards. And it was like, okay, this is the kind of performance you can expect from this. This is the kind of performance you can, ex- you can expect from that. And it w- it was wild because their expectation of the 6,000 series cards was that they were going to be about the same speed or slower, but the driver had moved so much and like the real gameplay and everything else, you know, side by side for the same system. And they're like, this is, why is this so much faster than a 3070 or... <laughs> uh you know i was i think it was a 30 i think we looked at a 3070 and a 3060 ti mm-hmm. and it's like this is why aren't people buying this like crazy this is nuts and that was when the 6750 i think it was like 350. Mm-hmm. so for like 350 dollars i was like well rdna3 is getting ready to come out and blah 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 and like the 6950 you could occasionally get for like 600 dollars or 700 mm-hmm. uh it might have been a 6900 but it was it was you know those were insanely cheap and it's like this is just physically an enormous card and it's hard to deal with cuz it's physically enormous in your power supply and they're like but but this this card's incredible like this is just i'm just running at 100 fps plus at 3440 by 1440 in every game why why aren't why why when i go to youtube is not people shouting from the rooftops yeah. that like this is this is just nuts and it's got more vram like a lot more vram so
0: well and you know i want to be clear like my Suspicion that it's 30%, which is to say if you have an NVIDIA card, your AMD card <clears> could be 30% stronger for the same price, or it could be 10% cheaper, 10% stronger, and have more RAM. Like some combination to get to 30%. That's what I think the market has shown it needs to be for them to actually do what you said and go, wait, what am I doing? This is so much better. <laughs> I I would recommend it if it was just like 10% better, probably. <laughs> you know, it doesn't I I'm aware that the but I think NVIDIA just has this mind share where they're just, and you know, DLSS has a lot of value to a lot of people, fair or not. I think it is actually pretty impressive, but I think some people maybe give it no weight or too much weight um, that I I think they're just always going to want it to be a bit of a better deal. But I don't think there's as many people that wouldn't try AMD anymore because I think intel alchemist came out and every review said hey it's hard to do drivers as well as amd and nvidia and all of a sudden all these websites that used to say nvidia is better it's now grouping nvidia and amd software together because the difference between them and intel they might as well be the same i mean (laughs) you know and i think everyone took a step back and said oh wow actually amd is pretty good isn't it (laughs) and maybe i don't want to get a 3050 for $300 instead of a 6700 for 280 or something. And so I think it's just, we're just going to have to find out if AMD realizes that, that they don't need to charge half as much. Because I think there's just been this defeatism in that company last gen, where they were just like, we're only going to charge $20 less because no one cares anyways. And I think they're wrong. I think people will switch. It just needs to be 20, 30% and they've always thought it needed to be half as much or it's not worth bothering. I don't know if you think because I think people t- tend to regard NVIDIA better now, but I think there's something going on where people are like, but AMD's not bad. They're not. That
1: bad. <laughs> I think I do. I do think that DLSS type technology is very good for the gamer, but not at the cost of physically getting less silicon. And FSR 3 yeah. is looking good and and that sort of thing. But I do worry I worry about Battle Mage and I worry about Intel's Arc team because Intel has made a tremendous amount of progress since the the A seven hundred and seventy launched, and I think that a lot of what Intel's discovering is that a, a lot of the uh, shenanigans, I guess, is probably the best way to put it in in game drivers and stuff is a lot of game companies don't really want to put a lot of work into optimization or or anything else. You know, very briefly, Cyberpunk 2077 was running better on Linux than it was on Windows, mm-hmm. and that was just because when they were working on uh, the Proton stuff, that uh, they noticed that there were some uh, uh, unoptimizations, I guess, in the graphics pipeline. And so, in the translation layer, they're like, "Oh, you're playing Cyberpunk 2077? Let's do these things slightly out of order than what you're requesting." And then, boom, better FPS and on Linux than than mm-hmm. than Windows, and. Uh, There are things like that that come up that the GPU driver people fix, which are really fix ups for a specific game or fix ups because, you know, we don't have a a red phone inside of Intel for reaching somebody in in Mm -hmm. Epic Games or whatever. Um, Which they
0: do at AMD and NVIDIA. And they've been doing this for so long. Yeah. And like the, the Starfield thing was crazy because it was just like like amd that was one where amd knew this is going to be a big release and it's bethesda studios so we better <laughs> put all of our effort into this Come and it's the like, i's across the t's and then, but then intel it didn't even work for a week and it's like you can't say you're making progress if like the big release of the end of the year and then it doesn't work and that's just such a miss and i'm i'm still blown away that i keep seeing those misses because i have meteor like graphics here that i test every now and then they still don't run some games and i'm like that's three years after i'm not meteor like tiger like uh tiger like like they still haven't fixed that completely in three years and i'm like um it's not enough to say you fix counter-strike like every <laughs> game
1: needs to work intel has got to stay the course they need to stay in the gpu game it's good for it's good for gamers it's good for it's, it's good for everybody the at the lower end of the market for like the a770 and below um i think it's it's gonna keep it's gonna keep it's gonna cause amd and nvidia both to do some really creative engineering to meet those price points and to meet that level of functionality but i think that we will see software innovation and process improvements in a way that only intel can do it's like just because it's uh, I was talking to uh, Steve at Gamers Nexus about this and the team, you know, just because the team at AMD and NVIDIA is put together a certain way doesn't mean that the team architecture at Intel is going to be put together the same way. And probably the team at Intel is going to be put together in a completely different way, which is probably going to improve the overall ecosystem. But what I was telling him was I really worry that if Intel isn't, number one or doesn't have a a path to capture the market for something, they tend to just not want to fool with it and and go away.
0: Someone else told me that um, I won't say who, but this is someone with a lot of industry contacts that I, we kind of just talk every now and then about like what we know and what we're hearing. And this person said that, you know, honestly, Tom, my impression from talking to people at Intel is they don't know how to not be number one. (laughs) Like that's what he said. And like if they would have just launched Alchemist I My opinion, they should have just launched it as the A570 and the A550 and like the A310. Like call them weaker names because they're not IN guys and only sold them on laptop. And then that's where you work on the drivers. That would have been a far more prudent move than saying you're launching enthusiast graphics this year and launching something weaker than a 6600. Like because just accept that you're not number one, put your head down and do what you know you can do. And and this person told me, actually, this was before I even came out, like, I think it might fail because they don't know how to not be number one. (laughs) It sounds like you're saying the same thing.
1: Yeah, they really, I don't, it's, it's very, it's like the first time I encountered this was working on Omnipath, which they spun out or was spun out now into a completely separate company called Cornelis Networks based out of uh, uh, Pennsylvania. And I sort I got Omnipath stuff 100 gigabit stuff on eBay because it was dirt cheap. I mean we're talking like less than $30 for a 100 gigabit PCIe interface and putting together, you know, a 24 node or 24 up to 24 slot cluster where or each node is going to have two 100 gigabit interfaces was cheap, insanely cheap. And so I got to playing with it and there's stuff in there for forwarding CUDA. So like you could have a box full of CUDA GPUs and you can have CUDA commands and stuff go over the fabric. Um, You can tunnel Ethernet and the performance is pretty reasonable. And uh, yeah, it is not anywhere near as good as InfiniBand. It is probably about 70% as good as InfiniBand in the best case scenario. But it's like 100% better than just raw Ethernet. And so I'm sitting here and I'm scratching my head thinking, well, I mean, if you had infinite availability of InfiniBand, then I could see why Intel would, would cut its losses and, and spin this out into Cornell's Network and then, you know, let it live on. Because there's a lot of supercomputers that use OmniPath. You can't just throw your hands up and, and abandon it. Um, but if Intel hadn't done that. They would be selling the absolute bejesus out of OmniPath because what are you going to do? Buy InfiniBand? Oh, you can't buy InfiniBand because everybody's using InfiniBand. It would be a very viable number two product in the market. And it's kind of like that with the A770. The A770 has an opportunity to fill certain niches and still sell millions of units and get the driver team ready to go. And having that driver team is hugely valuable and it keeps everybody else honest. And it's going to give you experience that will dovetail with other places like in machine learning and everything else. To say nothing of the enterprise, like there's there's a lot of utility in having this type of acceleration for machine learning, inferencing, and also VDI in the enterprise. And so Intel has to, like they gotta come to terms with the whole Intel number two. It's a great product. You can still make mm. a crazy amount of money, but come on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, well, I know that they had much more ambitious plans than what they're going to end up going with. No matter how much of it actually comes out, like they wanted, they wanted to. I think <laughs> go for like a fifty ninety competitor next year. But it sounds like they've basically whittled it down to just trying to launch one or two dies, which I think is the right move. But I worry that they've already bit off so much they can ch- more much much more than they can chew that. I don't know. I, I think um, I think they'd be smart to just make what they can and accept where they've failed in the past and that it's going to take like four gens to get to a place where you can ever challenge AMD and NVIDIA on performance. And that until then just make sure you don't run out of money. Because it's so funny, like 10 years ago, Intel had the money to do whatever they wanted, but they just don't anymore. <laughs> and if they continue to... Tr- which I think they're starting to get it together, but if they continue to try to fund too many things that they can't afford to do they're just going to end up kind of destroying the brander i guess um let me let me move for kind of transition to this uh compressed earth Blocks writes in and he says tnw is meteor lake poised to maintain or even take more mobile market share from amd amd seems to have a supply capacity uh constraint with less robust oem support will Meteor lake only widen this gap and i think this is an interesting one to bring up because I don't know, like six months ago, I put out this thing of like multiple OEMs telling me that they're designing out more dedicated cards in laptops than ever before because they expect Meteor like to be competitive. And if it's not as good as a 40, 50, like whatever, if it's half as good, it still means we can save money, double battery life, and it's still strong enough to do 1080p gaming. But what I heard two weeks ago was some OEMs are changing some of those plans all of a sudden because they're like... Two things. I think Meteor Lake's is coming out later than they wanted. Um, and uh, so they're probably just going to move more. we move forward with more of the existing designs that can be retrofitted with Phoenix and stuff um, like uh, which I believe you brought up offline before we started that you're hearing all of a sudden OEMs are racing to get Phoenix for this holiday season. So spooky. Yeah. I wonder if it has anything to do with Intel basically announcing Meteor Lake it doesn't come out till next year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But also, they're very concerned about putting an Arc sticker on a laptop because I think there's a requirement to put Intel Arc on Meteor-like laptops because they want to market it as if it's like you're having a dedicated graphics card. But a lot of OEMs are like, yeah, I don't know. That's already a brand that we don't really want on our laptop. And I don't know. I wonder how you're feeling about Intel's position in the mobile market right now because you also said offline to me that you got a big feeling from the innovation event that they're worried about AMD taking mobile market share Nick.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things really is going to come down to packaging and cost and overhead, because if Intel can do a better job packaging their tiles and putting together a mobile package, um, even if it's made out of 17 pieces of silicon, if they can do that less expensively than what AMD is able to do with their, you know, their global operation, um, to get that done, and then Intel is going to be in a better position to negotiate with OEMs and place the chips and and blah blah blah. Um, I do think that OEMs are worried about returns and glitches and that kind of thing from the the Arc side of things. Um, from what I've heard, in terms of the labeling and everything else, which is another reason to keep the Arc team together because they're not Intel's really not that far away. When it comes to the gaming drivers and the gaming performance and the, the, the gaming stuff, they got to they got to stay the course and stay on task. And the, the team probably needs to be two or three times the size of what it is. And they got to got to actually do that and follow through with it. Um, but I think that um, pricing and volume and, and and some of those things are, are going to dictate it. At the same time, I think uh, AMD has been the darling here, you know, the 6000 series chips launched and the 7,000 series are basically drop-in equivalent, but with better power usage and roughly the same costs. I don't know what the OEM costs are, but I do know that there are are PCBs that I've had in my hand where it's like, wait, the only difference between this 6,900 or Mm 6,800 mobile chip and a 7,840 is this looks the same. It's just got a different chip from here over to here, but the performance is breathtakingly different. Um, that's probably good for OEMs and the, the different kinds of models and the stuff that they can launch. You know, They don't have to t- totally re-qualify a laptop. They can change a couple of resistors and push it out the door.
0: Well, they um, did the same with the RX 7600 as well, because I think yeah. AMD realized we only own 10% of the mobile market in graphics. Maybe. I don't even know if it's 10, actually. Um, and we own like 30 to 40, eh, probably 30 to 35% and in laptop potentially but i don't know how much of that includes like just these massive deals they have with like you know businesses that buy up intel in bulk so they're like they're not going to put as much effort into designing a new amd laptop every year so we better make damn sure that if they need to move to a new socket it's it's a good one and everything should be drop and compatible most years so that there is no friction to
1: switching when intel stumbles you know I, um, I did get a play at the uh, one of the booths had a Meteor Lake laptop and mm. I got to play with it um, while I was there. And it was really interesting. Um, uh, it, it was it was. Uh, I didn't it was plugged in, so I don't know uh, about any of that. Mm. Um, and I don't know anything really about thermals or or. or, or Um, that sort of stuff. But the demo that was running on it was um, with AI and the AI acceleration. And the thing that they weren't showing off that, that I noticed between the two systems is the system that was doing the thing in software instead of with whatever was in Meteor Lake was much hotter and much louder. That was not part of the demo, but it was just like, oh, it's interesting. Like, look, it's backward compatible. It'll run on older laptops. But the... Meteor mm-hmm. Lake laptop was not struggling at all. Um, certainly with, um, you know, efficiency cores on the IO die that are designed for extreme efficiency, mm-hmm. we've got a delineation between we've got efficiency cores and then we've got extreme efficiency cores. Uh, Intel doesn't really make the difference there because they're the same. They're the same ISA, but physically they've been optimized a different way. So, you could have Uh, the
0: way I would describe them, and I've said this recently, is uh, a Gracemont C, kind of like there's Zen 4 and Zen (laughs) 4C. Yeah. It's really Gracemont C. I talked to someone at Intel the other, uh, well, a couple weeks ago, that said this is Gracemont, but on TSMC 6 nanometer and optimized for low voltage and density. It it is the dies, they're even smaller cores than they are on Raptor Lake because we don't want it to even go past three gigahertz.
1: Yeah, and that's you know, it's like you you take out the power delivery and everything else. So those laptops will be able to live on those cores for video playback and very light background threaded stuff, which is good. But at the same time, I really want my laptop to be insanely efficient in the first place. This is this is one of the Mm -hmm. frustrating things with like the the M1, M2 architecture from Apple is that they really close the loop on the whole hardware software ecosystem. If you don't venture outside of the Hardware optimization for particular pieces of software that uh, Apple has done, it's breathtaking. As soon as you start doing stuff off script, it's much less breathtaking in terms of IPC and everything else. But I worry that there's not enough focus on that in Meteor Lake and subsequent products um, versus, you know, just chasing the... It's like, oh, the process will save us. And, oh, you know, sh- the shrink will save us and other efficiency stuff will save us. So it's like, no, well, you're going to have to get in there with some software. You're going to have to, mm-hmm. you know, go to Microsoft and really pull out all the stops because.
0: Okay, I think they have, you know, for Alder Lake and onwards.
1: Eh, I, don't, I don't I'm still not super enthused with the the way that Thread Director. Like, mm-hmm. I think they could squeeze out a lot more performance. Um doing even more optimization on Thread Director and looking at processes and, and that kind of thing. But it may just be that I use my laptop heavier than the most normal people, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things where <laughs> AMD, you know, just puts a ton of effort into making a new core that is better at everything, will not doubling power consumption every generation. <laughs> and then they say, you know, we'll take a version of it. It's the same dang thing, and it'll just, be optimized for efficiency, and then we don't need to do any of that. We don't need to optimize anything. We don't need to program anything. It's the same core. It's just smaller over here. And I can't help but like look at a lot of the things Intel's doing with all of these tiles and stuff, and they're kind of just adding more Band-Aids around a bloated core that they know they need to start over with. But as far as I can tell, they're not really going... They know it, too, but it's not really going to happen until Panther Lake, right? Like I think Arrow Lake's... Like halfway to the Jim Keller cores, and then Panther Lake is the new rentable unit thing where they're throwing out hyperthreading, supposedly, and moving towards an entirely different way of saving space. But until then, it just seems like every architecture is just building ways of getting around the fact that their cores use more energy and are bigger than they should.
1: <laughs> These are your amazing P cores. They only work when you're plugged into the wall. No, no, no P cores for you on battery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a Meteor Lake uh, benchmark uh, run of it was Cinebench R20 that I leaked and I I have a lot of the data around it now too. And what I just don't know is like how much of the power consumption I was seeing in the telemetry and the like boost clocks and all of that was simply because they were trying to run it hard in a test system because they often do this is they want it to be consuming max power. Uh, But what I saw was something that basically just is a Rube Goldberg Raptor Lake in performance, pretty much. Uh, I I think what we're going to see is Meteor Lake is really efficient at like 28 watts. and But the second you get towards 100 watts, it actually starts to not look that more efficient than the refreshed Raptor Lake stuff that's about to launch. That's at least what it's starting to seem like to me. And I just can't help but wonder like, if it's not coming out until basically next year, so what? Like a few months before AMD's Zen 5 APUs come out, I really wonder if they're like this thing would have just been awesome six months ago, but it's kind of missing the boat. And I wonder if you have like any thoughts on like how you probably think OEMs are thinking about that. And yeah. It, it, again, you said Intel looked worried. Like if they're if they think they they know they might have as well, because who's going to build this new system when uh, you can just drop the next gen. AMD in there with 12 Zen 5
1: cores, you know? Well, my worry is more that there's this hyper-focus on numbers in a spreadsheet. It's like, what's the number one thing that 75% of people want in a laptop? And it is crazy, insane battery life and crazy, insane good screen. And good Mm. screen can be refresh rate or brightness or size or something. Not always. People won't agree on what makes a good screen, but those things... uh, are uh, mostly not functions of the core at this point, like all of the power savings to be had, like the screen is gonna use as much or more power than the processor. But then when you want the numbers Mm -hmm. on the spreadsheet, then you get into this efficiency game where it's like, oh wait, uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna have to push so much power through this mobile processor that it is actually gonna chew up a lot of power and generate heat. And then we have to have the system to deal with that and so on and so forth. Um, and that's what, you know, uh, this kind of leads into one of the other questions about arm, but, um, Apple switched from x86 to arm and they got that huge performance benefit Mm -hmm. partly because of the switch, but not really because of the switch, because they made the hardware and the software come closer together. And we haven't had the hardware and the software come closer together in exactly that way, which is why we don't have um, as much efficiency. So when you move from the M, M1 to the M2 to the M3, mm-hmm. what, what's Apple done? It's like, well, they've really just increased the wattage. The IPC is never going to be that breathtaking bump from mm-hmm. x86 to whatever. And like you're talking about, they just, they shed a lot of cruft. There's no, there's not they really- They did it once. Yeah. They
0: can't do it every time. Exactly. There's only one time you switch from Intel when Intel's at its lowest point in stagnation.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so- when you're talking about a Rube Goldberg machine of, of, of Rocket Lake, and it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, for the stuff that people want in a laptop, you're going to have to shed all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it has not happened yet. And so we end up generating a lot of heat. And so even <laughs> if we get a performance bump, we still have all of this other machinery that we have to drag along with us in order to get back some of that and so it's like okay if you run your laptop entirely off of the efficiency cores in the IO die Mm. and you use the latest display technology you will get all day day and a half battery life and I just I think that OEMs are looking at that and they're just saying well Well, what about
0: when we turn on the screen what about (laughs) when they're doing other things at the same time yeah is is Meteor like is the Intel 4 node that it's using actually making it more efficient than Raptor Lake, or is it Or is it actually just the fact that we have these efficiency cores on an IO die and it's been really tailored to do it in a few scenarios? But yeah, I haven't thought about that. I could see that happening with Meteor, like where we have a situation where half of the time it is way more efficient than their Raptor Lake stuff. But then like 25 percent of the time it's actually worse in like not maxed out workloads, but let's say. 70% utilization, which I'm sure me and you do a lot more often than most people. And then there's another fourth of the time where if it's maxed out, it's actually less efficient than last gen because it's a new unproven node or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the slides, there are slides from from TSMC where they, you know, even two generations ago, even on seven nanometer, they were saying, well, you can get 30% more efficiency or 8% more clocks because it's just Mm -hmm. the geometry of how things go when you shrink is changing so intel is probably encountering some of that on their own it's like well we can get dramatically better efficiency but we're not going to get better performance
0: yeah my girlfriend likes dressing up our pets and heck i do too sometimes probably a lot more than they like it themselves but you know what's scarier than being dressed up by a giant human like a strawberry or a tomato well that's overpaying for microsoft software and that is why you should go to cdkeyoffer.com during their Halloween sales event. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, Office products, or many of the latest games, CDKeyOffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community needs, and that's just avoiding monopolistic prices on software, especially Windows and Office products. And you know, the Moore's is, is Dead team has been working with this company for a very long time, and still does, for a reason. They've been good to us, they've been good to the community. Heck, recently I got my girlfriend a new compact gaming PC as an early Christmas present. And when it came time to set up the Office software, I realized she was paying a lot of money for a year for Microsoft 365. And she was blown away to realize that that was a predatory service and you can get Microsoft Professional 2021 Office for like $50 and then you're done. And you know what? You can get that around $50 cost if you just use the offer code broken silicon for 25% off. And you can use the code die shrink as well to get 3% off every other piece of software on the website, whether it's Steam, EA, or Ubisoft keys using either of these codes, broken silicon or die shrink helps support war's laws dead a ton. And it saves you money So support this channel by supporting cdkeyoffer.com during their Halloween sales event today. Um. Well, so this is, you know, kind of the thing that I wanted to get to is like one of our main discussions here, and that is just talking about all of the AMD APUs that are coming out next year. Like, cause you asked me before we started recording, um, like, do you think AMD's bought a lot of allocation? And I said, I guess I don't know for sure, but what I do know is from that, like Strix halo leak that I put out this year that they've got. Hawk point coming out quarter one Strix point coming out quarter two Strix halo coming out quarter three or quarter four. And then actually if I look, and then they also have fire range And I believe something called Kraken and something called Escher coming out after those. And you look at this and you go, so usually they launch one or two APUs a year. Now they're launching four or five. I I have to imagine they bought the capacity to do that or they wouldn't be designing all of these things. And it seems like they're having all these things come out. Not all of them will be compatible with last gen, but I'm looking at one of the roadmaps I have and yeah, it says Strix Point works in FP8, Hawk Point works in FP8, only Strix Halo uses a new socket. So they're going to have all this stuff that just drops into all of the Phoenix laptops they're making now. And I can't help but wonder if this has just been timed with a ton of capacity perfectly by AMD to really start going for a laptop. And maybe that's why they were kind of half-hearted last year. They were like, it's about next
1: year anyways. Yeah, maybe, maybe the early silicon was so good. It's just like this. This is the product. This is amazing. Because I've been really happy with the uh, the seven thousand series systems that I've tested. They've been really good, and a lot of the the mini PC vendor, uh, vendors, uh, mini's Forum and uh, B Link, uh, you know, they're they're really juicing the performance of the system, upping the wattage, doing a little bit of a, an out of the clock, out of the box overclock. I've
0: been really impressed with the minis forum stuff I've been testing recently
1: very impressed yeah I mean it really is it's like wow this is I mean this is what this thing runs like when it's completely unchained um again I I think AMD could also do the same like okay they need to get with the software they need to optimize the whole software thing which may involve working with the team inside Microsoft I don't know how that happens but surely to god AMD is big enough to make that happen now um just to get things like suspend resume right because uh, it's a mess on Windows uh, and that's true on it's, it's team red or team blue, but um, uh, it's uh, it's exciting for the future because there is, it does seem like that there's a lot of low hanging fruit that mobile users can enjoy, and it does seem like AMD is doing some really interesting things with mobile processors. We get the V mobile processor, mm-hmm. which is you know I mean okay it's a it's a chiplet design solder on blah 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 but maybe that's important of things to come for high performance laptops i think actually the the when we when we last talked um, i said something that, that suggested that i had a little bit of a concern around making apus where it's just a programmable wattage it's like okay this will run from 8 to 35 watts and it's like well but you don't really do it that way like if you if if you if the thing is not going to run at 35 watts you can get rid of a lot of stuff in there to do with mm. power delivery And then all of a sudden it shrinks and then all of a sudden you've got more power efficiency. And so having all of these parallel swim lanes for a bunch of different products does suggest that AMD expects to capture um, wider ranges of the market in, if nothing else, those TDP buckets. But I suspect Mm -hmm. that it's not just TDP. It's a lot of it's a lot of use cases for not just for thin and light, but also these mini PCs, because these mini PCs, I think, are selling better than anybody really expected.
0: Well, you know, I um, I don't know if there will be an ad slash mini review in this episode or an upcoming stuff, but I just got done testing a called the HX77G from Mini's Forum, which has a 6600M and a 7735HS. Some of the competing mini PCs I've tested, they'll still for some reason have the APU at like 35 watts and they'll have a GPU that's only at 65. And I'm like, well, then why is this a desktop? Like, what are we doing here? And this one seems to run the 6600, which is basically the same specs as an RX 6600 uh, at full 100 watts. And the thing boosts, it's basically just a 6600 in performance in my benchmarks that uses 30 watts less. And then this Zen 3 Plus 8-core at 54 watts is right up there with some desktop chips. And, yeah, I mean, it's interesting testing that and realizing that, like, It doesn't need to use desktop power consumption, but if you just give it that extra 10, 20 percent, it performs pretty close to desktop. And I mean, what we just saw, uh, Asus just launched the Z1 non-extreme version of their handheld. And everyone's talking about how it's like 40 percent weaker. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys do know it has a third the compute units, right? So like a third of the compute units. And in some scenarios, it was only twenty percent or ten percent weaker. Like I would argue that Phoenix doesn't need half of these compute units and half of these systems, then you just need to give it more power. Yeah. And I think they're kind of doing that. Cause because they're keeping Hawk Point at twelve compute units, they're going to sixteen with Strix. And I've seen some people go, why don't they go to thirty-two? And I I just don't think they're maximizing what they have right now, you know? And actually the funniest thing in the vein of what you're talking about is I saw for Strix Halo, which goes up to 40 compute units of RDNA 3.5, they were talking about in one slide, and who knows if they'll actually do this, I'm sure there will be special versions that want to pay twice as much for that extra 10%, but they were like the 120-watt version of the APU, this is the one with 40 compute units and 16 cores. And then the 65-watt one, I think they were like, never 16 cores, never 40 compute units. And it goes all the way down to like the worst deals. and they're like... I think they're finally figuring out that it's been so silly for these companies to segment these things like that for so long.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that y- you uh, you you see it the way that I see it. And um, I've got the uh, 6900 version of the older version of the minis form with the 6600. And I couldn't believe it when I tested it because it was just like this is basically a desktop computer in a tiny, tiny form factor that is whisper quiet. And mm. is upgradable, like I put 64 gigabytes of memory, and I can put 96 gigabytes of memory in it now. And uh, with reasonable cooling and and the performance really was something to behold. And so it's like, you mean to tell me I could get basically, you know, within 10% of this in uh, a large format laptop? Or I could, you know, switch down to like, I, I could the eight watt version of this that has been tuned for eight Watts. You know, I could run all day on a pair of double A batteries. That's what I really want. Hmm.
0: Well, all right. So we're talking about all the AMD's upcoming stuff, but I do want to kind of transition into like, I, I like a more direct talk about like what the heck Intel is even going to do next year,
1: because they're launching like, four products at the keynote. The Intel innovation is like, we are on track, blah, blah, blah. They doubled down. And they would be launching four major products in a calendar year, which just seems like a crushing weight for people inside of Intel.
0: Well, so that's the thing, right? Because I think <laughs> in a couple of weeks from now they're going to launch Raptor Lake Refresh. It's like three to fifteen percent better than what they have now, which isn't nothing. I remember when everyone got ten percent performance improvements every year from Intel, so it's not nothing. But I believe quarter one, AMD's launching Zen 5 to desktop. Um, and then all their strict stuff is coming out around there too. And from what I'm seeing in benchmarks, Meteor Lake's kind of just a more efficient version of Phoenix. So isn't, And it's better. It's like 10% better at everything too, but it's coming out kind of a, a half a year after it. And, and then that's it. Like from what I'm hearing, Arrow Lake is likely going to slip to quarter four next year. And it might be a thing where it, I'll probably be talking about this a lot more in like a video after this comes out. Cause I'm still not done looking into all of it, but it kind of sounds to me like Arrow Lake could be coming out next year in the same way. Meteor Lake came out this year mm. and then they're going to have Arrow Lake mobile come out probably quarter one, 2025 and Granite Rapids come out in the second half of next year. Hopefully that one doesn't slip that much farther, but it's like, I don't know. So what AMD's got all the Zen five stuff coming out next year and then Arrow Lake coming out. <coughs> it feels like it's going to be 10 months of Intel not really having a whole lot. And I've even heard rumor that like Panther Lake could be mobile only lunar Lake is kind of like a successor to what was that Foveros chip with the, with the sunny Cove core. Um, oh yeah. Uh, and I one big and four little cores. Um, but like, that is kind of what Meteor, uh, not Meteor, like a Lunar Lake is, and it's really not until Noble Lake, which sounds insane, by the way, but it kind of sounds like it's just like Arrow Lake a year from now, if we're lucky, and then all Arrow Lake until 2026, and that means AMD might launch Zen five and Zen six, and all these APUs in a time frame where Intel really isn't starting to release stuff until about <laughs> 18 months from now, and I'm just wondering. I don't know, like, what do you, do you think Raptor Lake refresh is like good enough to keep up with that? Do you think like media, like, how do you see Meteor like in a situation where all of this Zen five and six stuff is dropping until then? I, I, I don't know if you, yeah, I'm sorry. Go
1: no, on. yeah, I, it's uh, an at, at innovation. Pat Gelsinger doubled down. He said, all this is still happening. And, you know, that was just a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah, it does seem like something would have to give because there's just well, of people. Well, you said Emerald Rapids,
0: right? They showed it for a second, then they shuttled it away and, like, covered it up. Like, don't yeah. look at it too much. Like, is it really ready in December? I
1: don't know. I don't know. I mean, December 14th. Ah. Well, that's, a, that's a, yeah, Emerald Rapids. I would say that Emerald Rapids launches on or, like, is announced. And they have some, they reveal some performance stuff. On December 14th, that, that's kind of how they launched uh, Sapphire Rapids. So like Sapphire Rapids got a lot of early coverage and like two or three months later, then exactly, independent yeah. reviews started showing up. And then like a month after that is, you know, an the channel. Um, so maybe that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts here and there's so many teams that have so many uh, overlapping skill sets that everything has to drop into place that. They would have to be if they're going to do that next year, they would have to be physically farther along with the products um, than they let on in the, in the mm. press events. If the timing is going to be there, because all of the stuff that's left is all the little bring up details and the, like, the platform details and like the CXL integration and, and that sort of stuff. And CXL and CXL integration and disaggregation and those types of acceleration stuff that was front and center in a lot of the demos at innovation and that hardware seemed to be functional, but you can do CXL now on the older platforms with the right integration bits. So, yeah.
0: So you're, yeah. So you're kind of saying if they really do want to launch all of these things next year, you would have expected to see a lot more by now, unless it's like at the end of the year anyways, or something.
1: Yeah, or or if they're deliberately sandbagging, or or something like that. I, I don't know, but I would I would think that we would at least have had hints that they were going to, you know, delay or push that push that back because that was one of their big roadmap claims was you know five what was it five processes yeah each? in four years four years, but you know all of them with the with the delays that have happened so far pushes all of them into happening next year. And like you're, was it you you've talked about the EUV stuff before, right? And it's like, well, it turns out we don't, we don't, we're going to use EUV, but we're going to use EUV in the ramp and not mm-hmm. the, you know, and so it's like, well, that's, I don't know what to make of that.
0: Yeah. That's a good point too. Cause they say we're totally on track and it's like, maybe arguably, but is, can we use the word totally when de- it's launching <laughs> in December? Is that really count as a node this year?
1: I don't, <laughs> know about that um well and EUV is getting used differently than than when planned but again it's just like uh, uh, how does this translate to a product like you know i can come back down here to blue collar lane tell me what i can buy tell me what the performance is going to be well you can I don't buy this alchemist
0: in quarter one remember you know uh, so yeah well and you know that's the thing i've heard about battle mage as well um like i've i, I randomly will ask contacts at oem's like hey i mean i've got Full briefings here from some of you on when Strix Halo launches, and that might not launch for a year. Isn't Battle Mage supposed to come out next year? What do you know? And they said, uh, We knew way more about Alchemist a year before it launched than we know about Battle Mage now. So mm-hmm. I guess we'll leave it at that, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and we still haven't really seen anything out of it. And I think Meteor Lake was originally supposed to use a Battle Mage tile, and now it's using an Alchemist Plus tile. See, um,
1: there's there's another factor here that we haven't discussed, which is, is the reason that we haven't seen as much movement at the lower, at what you know, is the low end of the GPU, low in terms of dollars, not in terms of feature set, the low end of the GPU market, because AMD expects to move to just consume wholesale that level of performance into the CPU. I mean, certainly when we're talking about, you know, Zen 5 having 40 CUs on chip. Why would you bother with the 6600?
0: Well, I, I I agree, right? Like, unless Intel thinks, and I made this point too, like, guys, I'm, I think just from a third, like a standing back and looking at the market, I don't know if it makes any sense to launch any of these graphics products unless you can beat like a 4070 next year because AMD is going up to... I mean, what, yeah, they said they want Strix Halo to at least compete with the mobile 4070, which is a 4060 Ti.
1: Well, you it's, know. The, it's, it's not even the, the performance. It's also the cost of manufacturing. So, you know, the Azrock Challenger, that's the 6400 that has like, you know, yeah. it's, it's a dollar of aluminum and it has two connectors and a tiny PCB. And there's like five passive components on it. So you know everybody nobody liked that that GPU but that is the future of low cost GPUs if you if you had a GPU that looked like that mm-hmm. but could do 120 fps in any triple A title at 1080p who cares buy it mm-hmm. that looks amazing that's that would be incredible and that's where the lowest of the low end would be that GPU manufacturing it for you know, less than a hundred dollars, certainly, and putting it on the market for one hundred and fifty dollars and then offering that level of performance. The market would eat that up. The market would go insane, mm-hmm. um, even if you had to cut it to the bone to make it work like that, as long as it offered the performance and had the VRAM and you found a way to make it. And so like there's a lot of room so, for Intel so to do hard. that kind of innovation, but they're, they're not going to do that.
0: But that's what's so hard right now, because and yeah, I agree. Like uh, I saw like what is they like three different types of dies they're working on and yeah. oh, I'd only launch one or two. And it's like, "No, launch one that hits $200 well and yeah. just do that one well." But it's hard because we're in a weird situation where like no one wants 8 gigabyte cards anymore. So if you're going to make a cheap 16 gigabyte card, uh, you kind of got to make it 300 if we're being honest at least and I think they're just already struggling to make that at cost there with like the A770. I mean, it's a six nanometer card that is the die size, same as a 3070 that used a way cheaper node. Yet they're selling that with 16 gigabytes below 300. I, I think that thing's being sold below cost. So then the the question becomes, next year with Battlemage, can Intel make a card that does three things? Has at least 12 gigabytes of VRAM, preferably 16. Uh, can beat AMD's 40 compute unit APU and you know basically everything in the cheap area right now, which means can they double A770 performance for under 316 gigabytes of RAM next year? That's the question, I think. And I think if they do, I'll be impressed, but that sounds like a pretty tall order to go from point A to point B in one gen.
1: Yeah, it does. And if we're being honest, I probably would have expected Battle Mage. By now, like a 24, an 18 to 24 month product cadence mm-hmm. kind of thing. And well, when I think did, that
0: was the original plan. I, I think it was supposed to come out this fall, like if you asked them four years ago. So, when did the A770 launch? Same day as the 4090. <laughs> it was like October 12th. Oh, I remember. It was October 12th last year.
1: Yeah. So, we should be like, yeah, OEMs should definitely have been doing stuff with it already.
0: Well, so on that bleak note, let me ask you this question, though. Um, how do you feel about 128 core Granite Rapids versus 128 core Zen 5 Turin? And then the same question for 288 core Sierra Forest versus 192
1: core uh, Zen 5C. Ah, uh, B's up to something with 128 cores in Turin, right? Because isn't it going to isn't isn't the leak say it's going to be an absurd number of chiplets?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I have my own MS Paint mock-up of it. I think it's, well, yeah, it's going to have to be, it's eight cores, so it will be, you know, 128 divided by eight, 16 chiplets. They're keeping it eight cores, but then they also have the three nanometer, you know, C variant that is 16 cores per chiplet. So that'll go up to 192 cores. And my understanding is Granite Rapids uses something called Redwood Cove Plus, which is just a. Maybe 10% better version of what's in Meteor Lakes big cores, And then that's going to be competing with the same core count from AMD, but Zen 5. My personal opinion is I don't really see how that ends up well. I'll obviously end up better, I think, than like, you know, 60 Sapphire Rapids versus 190 or then uh, versus 96 Genoa. But I eh, even 128 versus 128, I think AMD is going to launch one or two quarters earlier. I think they're going to have the same core count as Intel. And I think each core is going to be 20% better. So maybe 10% better if Intel gets lucky. I don't really. And then they have an AI variant of it as well that can go up to six AI chiplets. So I don't know how that. And I think Sierra forest, I'm just perplexed on who would want this personally, because it's 288 cores, no hyper threading same performance. It seems like per core as meteor lakes. If not, raptor lakes and that's going to go against 384 threads of zen 5c don't really see how that ends up well <laughs> we need something to win in the benchmarks i don't know oh there will I, be something i'm sure they
1: find but <laughs> i don't I, honestly a uh, cpu based inferencing uh it could be useful um certain ai applications all well, like neural magics sparse sparsified uh neural nets um those things could benefit Tremendously from um, running on CPU cores, but I don't know. I, I really I look at that and I look at the core densities, and like from thirty two to sixty four cores, I can find stuff to run. Like mm-hmm. just the general state of things in server and everywhere else. It's like okay, from thirty two to sixty four cores, it makes sense. From sixty four to ninety six cores, it's a little bit more of a challenge, and it's 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 still it's still pretty doable. But you get into it's like okay, 128 cores. We're going to pack in a ton of virtual machines and containers and really run like a containerized workload. Okay, this this makes sense. It makes sense that cloud companies would want this. But we're starting to enter the realm of products that are only for cloud providers, and the small and medium businesses um, just really aren't aren't interested in this kind of a thing. Um, I think Intel is it, it does position itself better with greater than 60 core. Um, CPUs moving away from dual socket systems. I'm to the point where I would much rather have a high availability cluster of single socket systems than a lower number of dual socket systems, meaning that I would rather have, say, three 96 core systems as opposed to a single or even dual uh, dual socket 96 core systems because I can distribute the load across three systems and the software is to a point where it really handles that clustered workload a lot better than it used to historically. So the software has gotten a lot more sophisticated about uh, running across physical chassis boundaries. And now the annoying thing is, Oh, you need, you know, 200 or 400 gig infiniband to really, uh, share the connection and and, and have everything work. Even, even, you know, like looking like VMware and, and vSAN, the performance has been a little disappointing on, on my own tests across, um, 100 gigabit Mellanox Connect X5 and Connect X6 um, Ethernet adapters, but it's fully distributed and the reliability is there and it's just the performance is a little disappointing, but in terms of like, this thing is bulletproof and running on more than one physical machine and all that, it really does tick all of the boxes. But That that was a
0: question by the way someone was going (laughs) to ask that I didn't actually use for this video was, do you once we're getting to like 300 what is it, I think I think, yeah, so Turin goes up to 128 or 192 cores, and 5C. Venice goes to at least 256 cores on SP7 with 16-channel memory. And one of the questions asked uh, is, well, if we're already going to over 256 cores with 16 channels, is there a point in two sockets? Like, at what point do you just go give me more bandwidth for that crazy SOC? Yeah,
1: I th- we, we're entering a world where things connect just with PCIe. Um, I just in the office, and I can't, I've got some uh, videos in the pipeline. Uh, I just in the office got a liquid PCIe fabric. And so forget networking. Networking is too slow. How's the server connected to the other server? PCIe. Because literally anything else is too slow. So the the liquid fabric is amazing because you put your... PCIe devices that you want to share between machines in in a chassis and then all your chassis connect to a PCIe switch and you can map a physical PCIe card to a physical chassis and that's all well and good. But you've got other really interesting things like AMD, Pensando, um, uh, NPUs, it's a packet processor on a PCIe card, Mm -hmm. but you can do uh, a type of IO virtualization with it where that one NIC exposes itself to all of the servers that you have connected. So you can have one physical NIC mapped to four physical servers in my case, mm-hmm. providing hundred gig interfaces between all of the the systems, but it's only one physical NIC. The virtual functions go to different physical servers. And this is the future because we we've disaggregated to multiple sockets, multiple sockets into multiple chassis, but now the chassis are all interconnected via right. PCIe because networking is too slow.
0: Right, yeah, because I, you know, when you were talking. I was thinking of that too. Like, oh yeah, isn't it like? It? And then Nvidia bought a company for linking all of their blades together, and. Yeah. Why do we have multiple sockets? They are multiple sockets in Iraq. What what is the point anymore?
1: Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, isn't it 128 PCIe lanes or sixty four PCIe lanes and then sixty four go to the other socket and then that one has sixty four lanes? It's just like, is it PCIe? Is it an interconnect between the sockets? And it's like, what why does the socket even have to be in the same physical system? Ah. So mm. It, with with Gen five, my, mine's, mine's a Gen four fabric. I didn't splash out for the Gen five fabric. But with PCIe Gen five, a, a Gen five channel is basically equivalent to a memory channel, and this also mm. dovetails dovetails with some of the some of the questions on uh, CXL. And so it's like, oh, I really need more than eight the eight memory channels that Sapphire Rapids offers. I need twelve or sixteen memory channels worth of bandwidth. And it's like, all right, slam some CXL devices. Run four CXL devices. Uh, in your PCIe five slots, plus your eight channels of memory and boom, there's your extra memory bandwidth. You get extra memory bandwidth for those high speed, high performance CXL devices. And, and and now it, it matters less Intel has some really cool features. You can actually interleave real physical memory and CXL devices. So the operating system and the rest of the system has no idea. Mm their Xeons that have HBM can operate that way, where the HBM, they're just like, listen, we we know you aren't going to get this right. So we're just going to put the HBM on the CPU. So you've got slower DDR5 and insanely fast HBM, but it's interleaved. So you can speed up an application or you can have an application that only runs from HBM if you are in a very narrow niche use case where where that would be beneficial. But these Lego bricks are going to enable software stuff that we haven't even thought of. But there are people that are working on problems that are really excited about having um, these capabilities. And taking advantage of these core densities, I think, is um, is top of mind for a lot of them. But it's entering into such specialized workloads or such cloud-specific workloads that I think it's going to be a while before we see um, the software catch up to be able to use these things. Because we're only just now, like there's... We've had 100 gigabit Ethernet interfaces for almost a decade. Not quite, pretty close. Mm -hmm. And only just now, because everything else is catching up, we're starting to see, boom, an explosion of 200 gig, 400 gig, 800 gig. And they're coming down the pike because 100 gig is just too slow anymore. Or just, or in my case, raw PCIe. It's literally everything is too slow. I want to be able to talk from one server to the other server with just raw PCIe Gen 4 speed. Okay, we can do that now. Just PCIe was originally meant to be a server server interconnect. We're just we're we're going to do that. But there's a limit to how far that can scale. You really don't want to scale that much past a rack or two because it's you can't even have that many PCIe endpoints. If you create a bunch of endpoints, the system won't boot properly because it's like what what system is going to have 60 slots in it, for example. Mm -hmm. So
0: getting out and enjoying the weather or is it too hot to get outside? Well, either way, whether you're looking for an easy meal on the go or something quick and delicious while you're cooped up inside, Vite Ramen has you covered. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen bite ramen is a healthy tasty and shelf stable food crafted by an american startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy their classic packages make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice including new flavors like radiant crab ryu and also their ramen go packages offer a healthy microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15 minute lunch break away from home or they even have other healthy products like nano boost powder that makes any food at least a little healthy click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken Silicon to save 10% on a variety of products, including special bundles for Moore's laws Dead fans, raw nudes If you want to make up your own recipes and other food products, powders, cooking utensils, and more, they are a plucky, small, but rapidly growing company that has been good to Moore's laws dead for years. So, you know, supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference for Moore's laws dead. But i really do like their products and i recommend you try them as well so check out vite ramen today really gonna keep the glasses on for more than a minute well all right you said you can't think of it but i'm hoping you can raisin biscuit writes in it says hi tom and wendell Wendell, i know you're a big fan of cxl is cxl technology that can benefit consumer products which means desktops or laptops in even remotely in the foreseeable future? Is it technology just reserved for data centers, HPCs in the most extreme home labs? Uh, labs. Consumer space aside then, what potential uses of CXL are you most excited for? And I am curious about that too, because I think I asked Dave Eggleston, I think he was like a president at Micron or something too, like you know, like about CXL and his answer, this course is like a year or two ago, like was, I just think it's not gonna be in consumer stuff for a very long time. Like do yeah. you, really, you okay, so you don't see like I mean I and I wouldn't expect it in the immediate term, but like Zen six comes out late 2025. So basically exactly two years from now, do you think they're gonna start advertising the CXL cards you can
1: put in it? By <laughs> them? No. Um what CXL does is it, it is a way of giving us it's really just a computer science plumbing thing that lets us be able to do even more out of order execution and fixing up things after the fact by hiding latency. So we can have devices that are not memory behave like a memory device over an, a, an interconnect bus. That opens up a lot of possibilities for reliability and high availability and even being able to uh, move running programs between devices. I've always thought the holy grail of how these things should be designed between mobile, desktop, laptop. Is that I should be able to package up and move my running applications between devices because there's really not a lot of difference between, you know, let's say running Outlook on your phone and running Outlook on your desktop and running Outlook on another machine. And I think it would be far better security and way more efficient if I could work on something and the thing that I'm working on on my machine, when I step away from my machine, it comes with me on my phone. It doesn't have to go over the cloud. It doesn't have to be a session. It doesn't have to be any of that. I can literally just move the eight gigabytes of memory space that Mm -hmm. the application is using and move it to my phone. Some of the plumbing for CXL makes it really easy to move the program that's executing from here to there Mm -hmm. to, to somewhere else. Um, but no one is, as far as I know, is even working on that aspect of it. The most exciting- Like literally
0: just transplanting your desktop space, all the apps open from say, this desktop I'm using right now to a laptop and then walking away once it moves it all over in like a minute or something.
1: Yeah, probably not even a minute. Like we have the plumbing now, if you think about like a Steam Deck and Steam streaming, we have the technology to leave a, mm. a big application running on your desktop, but tunneled to your phone. And we have the, the the design chops to build an application that runs well on phone, laptop, desktop. And this, I think, would be a much much lower latency, much more seamless user experience versus cloud nonsense where it's running on somebody else's computer and yet the round trip is just impossible to deal with. But it's also way more secure because your stuff never—if you have an encryption key or like some sort of physical encryption device—it never really needs to leave. And if, as long as your phone and your Desktop and your other computers all have that connection where they're all connected to one another. The encryption keys never really need to leave one or other of your devices, you could leave it on your phone, except in an emergency situation and pull it off your phone. But um, CXL enables some of that, but you don't need CXL for a lot of that. You can do a lot of that without CXL with other, you know, secure computing or other Intel's got a lot of confidential computing technologies that would that would enable that kind of thing. But just being able to shuttle and disaggregate resources like that. If your phone, for example, if you were running an application on your phone that had um, a need for 20 gigabytes of memory and your phone only had six or eight, if everything in- implemented CXL, even as long as you had a, a reasonably high-speed wireless connection, your phone could use the memory space for that you know, on a remote computer, even though the processor in your phone is actually doing the execution. As a mm-hmm. practical matter, uh, he probably wouldn't. It would probably make more sense to move the application to the computer and then bring the screen back to the phone. But I think that uh, in the next five or ten years, we will end up. Someone will come up with an operating system mm. um, that basically works like this and makes it a lot easier for us to to seamlessly switch devices as we work. I think that's one of the prerequisites for having augmented reality and VR take off. Is that there's the the cost of context switching goes to zero. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, uh, CXL enables some of those kinds of things at a consumer level, but no one is really, no one cares about any of that. The CXL where it's really handy is um, scaling very large systems, ensuring integrity of very large database systems and disaggregating resources so that if you needed to run a machine learning training thing that requires 16 terabytes of memory where you just, you can't physically do that right now. It doesn't matter because the interface speed is what it is and something else can manage showing up like a memory device and giving you um, the memory device integration to do that. Because most of the time, if you really need 16 terabytes of memory, you don't need 16 terabytes of memory in the system the whole time. You just need 16 terabytes of memory to get to the other side of a job and then you're good to go.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I think we've most seen this rear its uh, ugly head or actually it's a head I'm kind of rooting for myself personally. Um, And like this idea 10 years ago that everything was going to move to the cloud. And I've been seeing more and more things pop up as, I don't know, I'll call it the fog, (laughs) where we don't need a cloud. We couldn't use it for some things, obviously, but putting everything on the cloud kind of just slows everything down not not something should be there but not everything and you can't help but wonder like more of a hybrid approach would be just better like i see these like basically every game streaming service is failing like yeah. you see this emerging like in the recent xbox leaks that like it's just not getting subs and it's like well yeah i mean you can't really stream better than 1080p60 at best frankly maybe 1080 maybe 720p30 over the cloud before it becomes horribly noticeable. And at that point, it's like, you know, I played enough, we brought it up. I played around with enough of these like minis forum and even like Geekom and other things, systems where it's like, you know, just with like a Phoenix APU, I can do 1080p60. So this is an APU. Why would I bother streaming and spending all this money every month? when a $300 box can play the game as well locally and the latency is better. I wonder how much you think like there's going to be some of this unraveling of the cloud. Not, not a lot of things, but some of this stuff we could be doing locally on devices that are so much cheaper than maybe the money we're spending to stream it.
1: Yeah. The pendulum is definitely starting to swing the other way. Companies have started to notice, uh, there are some companies that are perfectly happy to pay Amazon sticker price, but it's robbery. Like in what, in what world does it make sense that the cost of cloud compute hasn't gone down with the dramatic increase of how much compute per dollar you get over the last 10 years, like something, something doesn't add up there. Um, I, the only person I knew that subscribed to Google Stadia, um, they Mm -hmm. came to visit and I let them play, uh, let them play play a first person shooter on my steam deck and it was just streaming it wasn't even playing on the steam deck it was streaming from my desktop computer so like the visual fidelity and everything else was off the charts and you know the home my the wireless at my house is very fast Mm -hmm. and um they couldn't believe it they were just like what i don't this just feels so different i don't understand and so then they would (laughs) they would play on their laptop on their stadia account and they're just like i don't why does this feel so much better? I don't understand. And it's just like, but you're, you're streaming it too. It's wireless. And it's like, it's coming from up there. It's not coming from, from Jersey or, or wherever it's coming from. And he just, he couldn't, he couldn't believe it. And then he canceled his stadium subscription.
0: Yeah. I mean, because yeah. And you kind of saw like Nintendo play around with it with like the Wii U and PlayStation lets you remote play. I think Xbox main now as well. And it's like, all right, sure, you can pay 10 to 20 dollars a month for these streaming services or you can get a 400 dollar console or PC, either one, or a 400 dollar Steam Deck. It's probably going to feel better to just play it at a terrible resolution on the Steam Deck base than it is to stream it. And I I guess I've only over I've only ever thought about this in the context of gaming because when Stadia launched, god, the comment section was just gaming's about to die. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. It just seems like again, like a Rube Goldberg of doing what you were doing before. Worse. So it's not like these. We're not in a world where gaming devices cost thousands of dollars. And if the streaming looks only ever as good as a certain bar, I don't think any time the internet infrastructure gets better to a point where you can afford to stream higher quality, probably also that three hundred dollar box got better too like in the same amount of time where it's still the better choice. I never thought of it in the context of non-gaming, like that enterprises are looking at this too and going, are we just paying for like all of the roads to Rome when we could just go to Siena or something? And (laughs) which is down the street for
1: half of our needs, you know? Yeah. Microsoft, um, they did last year. It's been a year ago. Yeah. It's been a year ago. Uh, innovation, their innovation event or their ignite event, I think is what they call it. Um, Microsoft did something really impressive, and that is, if you are one of their enterprise or software assurance customers, you can get a Windows server license and hardware from one of their partners and run Azure infrastructure on-prem. So it's a lot of words to say. You buy a server from the list. You own it. You run it on your on, on in your data center or in your closet. It doesn't have to be a data center. You can just throw two of them in a closet because it needs to be high availability. Microsoft will manage it for you, and it's added even to in your, your own closet. Even in your own closet, and it's added to your account. And you could run Kubernetes, VDI, a virtual desktop infrastructure, and your the .NET like uh, serverless quote unquote uh, cloud application thing, <clears throat> and any one of those three tasks. And there's no extra license fees beyond the licenses that you already had to have for all your stuff. And there was really no extra cost. It was basically like free server administration. And so you get all the best of both worlds. You get all the cloud features, all the cloud API, like, do, 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 I'm going to move this workload from on-prem availability zone to the Atlanta availability zone or whatever. All those tools worked, all the automation worked, all the monitoring stuff that you're used to with Azure worked, but it was your on-prem location. And... It just looks like, yes, the pendulum is swinging the other way. Microsoft noticed and they're giving away for their customers to have the best of both worlds. This is the future.
0: Yeah, I remember someone that I talked to at Microsoft, you know, one of these people I talked to behind the scenes telling me about this and like how they realized really what people just want. This has got years ago, like. People just want you to manage it. They don't, they don't even necessarily want to buy your stuff. They'll buy it. You just handle it and you use your own server text to help them and maybe back up some of their stuff. And I mean, that's, I guess, I, I don't know. I guess that's what you think then, huh? That's more and more of the future is going to be people realizing they could just save money and have way better security owning it themselves.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of customers that are, it's like, okay, I'm going to run my Kubernetes workload close to the people that need it. But if something goes sideways, this will be available in the cloud, or I'll have a replica right. that's you know no more than five minutes old in the cloud, and I'm more than willing to pay for that usage when the time comes for that. Um, it's better for Microsoft's bottom line to do it that way than to try to maintain that infrastructure in a data center um, for the, the hot availability and it's certainly better for customer experience and better for the reputation and better for a lot of reasons. Um, that's just that's just the the dollars and cents of the situation yeah
0: Um, well so kind of in the same vein as this conversation, I want to ask you this. QH Freddy writes in and he says, what are your thoughts on Sapphire Rapids and Emerald Rapids workstation parts? These are basically not sampled to the press. And I asked Steve at Hardware Unboxed a while back and he said he didn't have much interest in benchmarking them. Can you maybe give some insight into the sampling and reviewing of Sapphire Rapids parts? Do you think they have a place in a mixed workstation gaming build?
1: So I've got a non-sample Falcon Northwest system based around the 56 core uh, overclockable, uh, Sapphire Rapids, um, CPU. And I don't get why Intel was not more, um, uh, didn't do more with these, the out of the box performance at the default power levels is a little disappointing. So we're talking about a DDR five platform with PCIe five, that the 64 core Threadripper pro DDR four PCIe four, is considerably faster than the 56-core X-series Xeon DDR5 and PCIe 5. So maybe Intel looked at that, they did the like-for-like testing, or they had a testing house, you know, do the like-for-like testing, and they looked at that, and they're like, wow, we're not faster than a previous generation, blah, blah, blah. But that's with roughly the same power envelope. If you overclock the X-series Xeon, the X-series Xeons have no power Mm -hmm. limits and if you, if you unlock it and you let that CPU run at like 600 watts and you can deal with 600 watts of power, you have 56 performance cores. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of power. I don't care. Um, it's really actually pretty nice. Uh, I think the 24 core, the 16 or the 24 and the 32 core are probably better. Um, because you can also give them 600 Watts. And so like the 24 core, I, I pointed this out to Intel and I was like, Hey, I, I really, I would like to have the 24 core so that I can do some more benchmarks and some more testing. Cause I only have the 56 mm-hmm. core that Falcon Northwest sent s- system, uh, the Falcon Northwest sent me in this breathtaking system. We should check out the video on that. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and that's the machine that I use for the ultimate machine learning video. Cause it's got all the Intel AMX machine learning accelerators and all that stuff too. And um, eventually, they did, but it took it took a, it took a while. And so, I think because I specifically requested it and said, "This is how I'm going to do this." Intel did send me a, a couple of CPUs, and the 24 core is also very, very good. And there are there's W790 motherboards that are available in both the four and eight channel configuration, and each CPU will work in each motherboard. But if you have a four channel uh, CPU you don't want to use it with an eight channel motherboard because half of your memory channels just won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but if you get the four channel memory board, you've got eight slots, you can run two dims per channel. So it's, it's very strange. Uh, some vendors did not do an eight channel version of the workstation board. Some vendors have done a version of the workstation motherboard that is not overclockable, meaning that you're locked into whatever Intel's power limits are. Uh, But these CPUs are supported, like the W3175X, they are supported by the Intel Extreme Tuning Utility and blah, blah, blah. The 24-core CPU, I think, is street price is Mm $1,500. So it comes in under the cost of an equivalent Threadripper Pro CPU street price uh, as a PCIe 5 platform and at a 600-watt power limit, in my experience, has been... I'm, I, this system that I'm using right now, as a matter of fact, daily driver, 24-7 stable, no problems, even with the extreme power limit. Um, thermals, it's never really above 85C under, and that's with an artificial workload. If I'm just playing a game or something, it's nowhere near that. And it is breathtaking performance having 24 performance scores.
0: Well, so I actually, uh, it was episode 213. Um, I talked to a, uh, DAW engineer, a digital audio workstation engineer who used Sapphire Rapids. And he said it was the power consumption thing that was just a massive issue for him though. And he said that if you don't have, and if you look, he said in the manual for these workstation chips, they're like, have a 1500 watt or dual 750 watt power supplies to power them. And he said that he couldn't get them to work practically. He's like, yeah, they're strong, but good God, I didn't realize I was going to have to give my customers 1,500 watt power supplies to make this thing stable. And then someone from Kit Guru commented on that video and said, we had three samples. One of them almost didn't work. And then someone I know in a, in a band called Vice Stone who does their own video production work for the band. He said they needed a 1,500 watt for the 36 core. It was very good but he cut a hole in the wall in their studio. So the workstation was in its own closet with its own cooling (laughs) because it was making the audio studio just too hot. And from what I've heard about Emerald Rapids uh, workstation, which I think should come out within six months, I never really know when it's going to be available to buy from Intel. Um, It's supposed to be like 20% better and they fixed a lot of the power consumption problems. So I think... I think Intel realized that like this thing will get eaten alive if we sampled it a lot because it's every half of the reviewers are going to need a new power supply and it's going to not win really in multi-threading and then at the same time we know we've got Emerald Rapids coming and it's it's kind of 20% better and uses it doesn't break power supplies anymore so why don't we just p- push it hard then if AMD doesn't have Zen 4 out. I think that's their thinking.
1: So I discovered something very interesting uh, since my Falcon Northwest review. The the first interesting thing that I'll mention in in that is this system from Falcon Northwest uh, is shipped in an overclocked, technically, configuration. And it is, it is tuned very carefully. It is not fully unlocked. If you let the processor run fully unlocked and you're just like, yeah, you just do whatever you want, then you're in for a bad time. Um, but there is a power limit and it's around 550 watts, 600 watts uh, uh, on the Falcon Northwest system. On the other system that I tested, I basically just copy pasted what they did and then did my own experimentation with the 24 core. And even though it's 24 cores versus 56 cores, uh, the power envelope is roughly the same. Now, here's the thing that I discovered from the Falcon Northwest video that was not in the Falcon Northwest video. The CPU mounting situation with that socket is it's just cpu into a socket mm-hmm. the heat sink is the retention mechanism and it, it it depends on a specific torque in order to do its thing it is very possible to miss torque the heat sink and you end up you seem to end up in a situation where the cpu does not have adequate cooling because when I started with the system, I'd put it together and I did the thermal paste thing and everything did really well. And I was really pleased with the results and the stability. And then I needed to switch motherboards because I was trying a different motherboard with the same CPU. And so I took it all apart and I took the CPU out and I basically just built a whole other system. So all I had to do is just move the CPU around. And in the other system, uh, I was using a tower CPU cooler. So I was only running that at, I think, 480 watts. And that went fine, and I put it all, and then when I took that out and I put it back into the first system, which has a custom loop cooler, um, the, uh, it was not stable, and the performance was all over the place, and the thermals looked okay, but it was sitting about 10 degrees C hotter, and as I was taking it apart, I counted the number of times that I unscrewed, now keep in mind this is with a torque wrench, but I counted the number of times that I unscrewed, and one of the standoffs unscrewed like mm. six or eight more revolutions than the other one and but i had used a torque wrench to tighten it down to intel's appropriate torque so something went wrong with the way that that was mounted and the retention mechanism which caused all sorts of stability and other issues but it was like subtle issues like not like oh this is obviously mounted wrong one of the dims is not working but like something unsettling so the retention mechanism with that thing is not not amazing. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that could be linked to some of them. I, I know that one of them has like a custom liquid cooling loop on it, though, that <laughs> I guess is probably still linked to what you're talking about as well. But Don't,
1: don't run it totally unlocked. Set the limit at about 500, 500, 550 watts. You also have to pay attention to the amperage, because sometimes you can set the wattage to like 500 watts, but then it still will use like a thousand amps. Oh, yeah. The
0: so amp spikes I heard about from one yeah, of them was crazy.
1: Yeah, but if you limit it, it will respect the limit.
0: So I I don't know. I think that's why Intel hasn't gone hard with it, because you could argue they have a huge opening here with AMD just basically not showing up to the party in HEDT anymore. But I think they knew it was finicky and uh, they they just knew
1: that some reviews were going to be. I'm fine with the finickiness as long as you. It's not continually finicky. If it is a stable, then I will have a problem with that.
0: Well, you know, I mean, so if it does turn out that the Emerald Rapids variant fixes every little finicky thing it has, it sounds like you're going to be very upset if they don't push that one a little harder, especially if AMD just doesn't launch Zen 4 until quarter two, which I'm not saying they won't. They'll wait yeah. that long, but I really don't think they're pushing it
1: as fast as they yeah right now. Well, um, you know, the, the, the guys at Falcon Northwest said that this was a, a shipping configuration because I was kind of on the fence with the whole... Like, you're probably right about a lot of that, but the fact that Falcon Northwest was shipping it as a shipping config and they're like, no, we will support you for this is like, okay, well. Well,
0: they they feel like they've figured it out then at least. Um, Tommy P writes in and he says, hi, Tom Wendell, what are your latest thoughts on the HDT platform market? Is it dying? Is it already dead? Are the consumer platforms fast enough and have enough features that the segment won't survive in the long run anyways? As actual workstation platform budgets are out of reach for hobbyists at this point. Yeah. Uh, the, but yeah, so what do you think about that? Because I mean, I know Zen 4, but I think it's just Zen 4 Pro workstation. I don't think it's a cheaper version. I think they're going to be just as
1: expensive and crazy as before. I think that AMD would be fine to launch uh, a, 70, a workstation version of the uh chipset for a 7950x that let you use registered error correcting memory. Your your latency is going to suffer, which means your gaming performance or your 1080p gaming performance will suffer. But that would unlock more than 256 gigabytes of memory. And I think 16 cores and 512 gigabytes of memory for some of those workstation edge cases is probably fine. I would like to also see different PCIe layout. Like again Zen four has enough bandwidth PCIe Gen five, but the uh, you can't. There's no. I need more PCIe slots. Yeah. So, um, that part kind of sucks. It would be amazing if there was a sixteen or twenty four core like simple socket workstation, but I just don't think there's enough. I don't think there's enough market. The enthusiast processor is has become the seventy nine fifty x and the seventy nine fifty x three d. And for enthusiasts, all motherboards are lacking. The Asus ProArt motherboards come the closest to not lacking, but it's still... Uh, I need They're more very expensive, too. I need more slots. Well, they're not expensive compared to Threader for Pro. Sure.
0: <laughs> but, um. you know, th- that's a question that, that gets me into, like, one of the final things I wanted to talk about with you, too, that I, like, like earmarked uh, in our, when, during our earlier conversation just about core counts next-gen, because... You know, I've seen some people complain that AMD is stagnating because they you know, only have 16 cores on desktop right now. And I just don't think it's comparable to Intel in the past because it's still a ton of cores. And unlike Intel, you got 5 to 10% performance boosts every year. You still get like 30% performance boosts every year and a half with new features. So my understanding, though, is that next-gen AMD, like uh, based on a roadmap I actually have, Of, like, when they're manufacturing three nanometer versus the five nanometer variant, I think they'll have the C cores ready at the same time as the non C. I think if they wanted to, they could launch with eight four nanometer Zen 5 and then another chiplet that's 16 three nanometer Zen 5C if they wanted to. But I'm curious where your thoughts lie on, like, I guess there's really two ways to talk about it. if Arrow Lake isn't launching till the end of next year, do they even need 24 cores? <laughs> Number one. Number two, if they're going to increase performance, you know, I don't know, let's say, I think maybe near 25% over last gen again is that something where the consumer really needs a core count increase or not? Like at what, cause we have used 16 cores for this 2019. It's been four years. It'll be five years pretty much when Zen five comes out. Is it time to move to 24 cores? And by the way, I've, I also on a roadmap have Zen six that it looks like it could go to 48 cores if they really wanted to like, is there any need for that? Is there any need for 32 or 24 or 16 fine for the foreseeable
1: future? I think for enthusiasts, 16 cores is basically okay, but it's only because we've had so much core on core on core on core performance improvement. Mm-hmm. I really think they should go to the Zen. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing a seventy nine ninety that was 8 plus 16 now, because they've got Zen 4 and Zen 4C, I, you know.
0: I think they could right now if they really wanted to. I, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. That would be so much fun. And you don't have any scheduler problems. There's no thread director problems at all. Just Exactly.
0: Yeah. Especially because it's C you could do X3D 8-core plus 16C because these yeah. would still be clocking lower than the X3D. So I would assume Windows wouldn't have to choose the right thing for games anymore either.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. They should, like, I need that today. But that's just because I'm a crazy person. I mean, there's uh, I brought Actually, that was one of the things, and one of the questions is, like, I, I brought this for show and tell. This is an AM5... Uh, uh, server-ish mm-hmm. motherboard. And again, just they make the, them, yeah. The dumbest PCIe layout ever. But um, this thing, like I'm working on a video, this thing with 16 cores, a 7950X replacing a dual socket uh, <laughs> 29, I think it's a 2970, dual 2970. So this is pretty old, but it's a dual Xeon 2970. And the dual Xeon 2970 with... 256 gigabytes of memory versus this with its plucky little two memory channels at 256 gigabytes that thing runs circles around it now granted that the platform's ancient that's like a 10-year-old platform versus this but this this also uses like for running those workloads like the whole system is like 200 watts and the other system was like 800 watts so I mean, they're all
0: they're almost there. I mean, actually, Carbon Cry writes in and says, "Can you explain where Sienna is useful? Why not just use the lower <clears throat> core count SP5 SKU?" So, and I think this kind of that that's kind of its own question in the server realm. You know, the 64 Zen4C cores and a cheaper version of basically Berg- Bergamo. But then I think there's also an honest question of like, should AMD they've got workstation? You know, the motherboards are 500 to 1500 dollars. The CPUs are five grand it's all but not epic but it can clock faster and then down here we have 16 cores but with like only 28 pci lanes or something should they launch a sienna thread ripper that goes up to 32 cores has 64 pci lanes or do you think it would be better if they just launched 32 zen 5c as a thread ripper on am5 and then they made a new chipset that like goes to 32, 48 PCIe lanes. Like, is it really necessary to launch a Threadripper that's in between Epic and Workstation and the bottom anymore? Or should they just juice the bottom 20% more and actually give you a few more lanes? And that's all we really need. I'm curious what you think.
1: I'm surprised that we haven't already evolved to a situation where it's just the same processor, but um, with a different motherboard. Because... Mm. If you look at where we started out with with Threadripper and 3000 series Threadripper Pro it's all about is all about the pricing. 64 core Threadripper Pro for only mm-hmm. 5 grand or whatever versus the top of stack 64 core Epic and the Threadripper Pro gives you the extra clocks and the blah and the blah and the blah blah blah. Um, just do Epic workstation. Like, it doesn't need to be called Threadripper. Threadripper mm-hmm. could be what you're talking about with SP5. It could be the mixed market product. It could be the... Because most people for Threadripper don't need the memory channels. They don't need the the crazy, insane core counts. Not to say there's not a market for that. There absolutely is yeah, creative workstations. they work might stations.
0: want more RAM. They might want extra cores, but they might not need 128 cores and terabytes of RAM.
1: Yeah, and you could almost... If it weren't for cooling, the cooling designs of the server motherboards... Uh, Mm A server motherboard with a PCIe card, like you can, there are, there's a couple threads on our forum where people are designing PCIe cards where it's like, here's an X4 card that is basically USB and SATA and all the crap that they don't put on a server motherboard is like, just slam this in a socket and boom, you turn a server motherboard into a workstation motherboard. Mm -hmm. That's a perfectly viable product strategy when you're basically at price parity per unit compute between server and workstation CPUs. The only reason that you have different server and workstation CPUs is to serve different markets to have the same product or similar product at a similar price point. Arguably, AMD is already doing that with their p series epics, which are way cheaper because they mm-hmm. work in a single socket versus the dual socket as a way to address that and get some market segmentation and, you know, uh, recoup some of the, I'm sure R and D costs of doing a dual socket configuration when a single socket gets the job done. And in the beginning, there was a, a huge discount for those P-series SKUs. Today, in the end of 2023, there's not as much of a discount mm-hmm. for those P-series SKUs as there was historically. Um, and so, yeah, I think Threadripper kind of straddling the line there in terms of cost as well as complexity is a good idea strategically. But I just don't think that's what they're going to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I when you start talking about the cost of like making the motherboards and the co- different cooling and these massive Threadripper coolers and all these different things you have to do, I can't help but just think to myself, yeah, I mean, it's they They want to charge basically the same as Epic for Threadripper at this point, for obvious reasons. I can't help but think that maybe the consolation price, like, can they just please launch? What is it? What are they at? They're at five. They're at X570. Can we get like an X590 that adds 16 or 32 PCIe lanes and then you use AM5. doesn't really matter. Just give me the extra PCIe lanes, the extra USB, the extra, all of that stuff. 16 cores is enough. Launch a 32 Zen 4C core, you know, for someone who wants this basically Threadripper system. And then you can still use a $20 CPU cooler if you really want to and all of this other cheap stuff because anything else, I think, is just leading to a situation where everything else connected to the system costs way more anyways. And I think i think a lot of it is logistics too like amd's realizing like like they're trying to get their lead times down in server and like oh so now we're going to bother launching threadripper 2 for this niche market we just already control i don't think that they worry about any of that they just make threadripper editions of am5 motherboards moving forward
1: <laughs> yeah or uh related to that um there's too much time delta between you know genoa and Bergamo launch and now threadripper launches it's like let's let's move that time window down a month or just say hey if you're going to run this epic cpu in a workstation you get an extra 40 watts on the ctdp and if it can use it it will but if it can't you know uh, it's just a silicon lottery people will probably be okay with that in terms of stability um but there is there is a surprisingly large performance delta on the 5,000 series Threadripper versus the top of stack, Epic. Um, I've only got 32 core Threadripper Pros. So even comparing a 32 core Threadripper Pro against the F-series Milan CPU, it is amazing how much more performance they squeezed out of the Threadripper Pro CPU over Mm -hmm. its Milan F-series counterpart. That That is, I don't know how they did that. It doesn't seem like that would be possible, but they did. And so um, I would miss that. But if it meant that we had products sooner and it opened Mm -hmm. up the possibility of something in the middle of the road in that 32 core, 48 core, 24, 32, 48 core sweet spot, then, yeah, I'm with you. Mm -hmm.
0: To directly answer Carbon Christ's question, do you think he's he seems to suggest, do we really need Sienna if you could just put a smaller chip in SP5? How would you answer
1: that? Uh, yes, and it's to do with lowering the cost of the platform, and the fact oh, that so what
0: we were just talking about, yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, you know, I've got I've got this, which is the, the you know the delitted. There's twelve chiplets on this, and but we when we go to 128 cores, we actually shed two chiplets. And so for telecom and networking and appliances and crap like that, we shed a huge amount of complexity of the carrier. We shed potentially a, some complexity of the IO die if they elect to do that. Um, we shed the complexity of all the interconnects because with less than with 64 cores, you know, you could do that. You could name that tune in four chiplets. Um, and I think that that is hugely beneficial for margins, profit mm-hmm. margins. Um, you know, less memory channels, somewhat reduced PCIe, but not dramatically reduced PCIe connectivity on that, on that platform. Um, And so I think that is really good for AMD's bottom line and really good for that market. And may mean that we do actually see some non-epic part that reuses the same plumbing, which could theoretically be dramatically way cheaper.
0: Mm hmm. And that was the final thing I was going to ask you about that. What do you think is more likely for AMD to do? I I suspect they will go to 8 plus 16 with Zen 5 on desktop just to stay competitive. I think they could right now, frankly, but they're not. They don't want to bother. Um, But do you think it's more likely they just launch a 32 Zen 5 C core? launch an X590 motherboard that has extra PCIe lanes, or that they actually do pull in a non-pro Threadripper on Sienna like late next year. Because so far everyone I've asked is saying Threadripper Pro Zen 4 is coming, but no one's heard anything about a cheaper variant. Like which do you think, or do you think neither is gonna happen? (laughs) Like, I
1: guess I'm curious. I think we're probably only gonna have, I would guess that it's an SP5 Threadripper that's coming. And I would guess that it's only an SP5 Threadripper that's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suspect that the, um, the Sienna chiplets and they're just not going to spend the time doing the performance tuning or anything else. Mm. And the design of the power efficiency does not lend itself to doing the Threadripper trick of just giving it more watts. So well, this, there's not physically using- the infrastructure for it.
0: My understanding, though, is they could use standard Zen 5, uh, well, I guess now Zen 4, Sienna, uh, if they wanted to, though, right? Yeah. Because it was the 64 Zen 4C, it's um, like a year ago, everyone I talked to kind of in those design teams was like, yeah, we have 32 or 64. And then around eight months ago, they said, now it's all Zen 4C. So I don't know how much of that makes it hard to launch a Threadripper version with standard Zen 4, because initially, obviously, the thing supports using the other chiplets. It's just, I don't know if at a certain point they said, we're not going to bother supporting any of that, because we don't think anyone's going to want to use that in server, and if they're not, we just would rather them to buy a Pro anyways.
1: Yeah, I think that the answer is going to be, they should buy Pro, because they should buy Pro.
0: Okay. Do you think there's a chance they launch a... uh, am5 x590 motherboard with an extra 16 pcie lanes or something or you just think they're going to say whatever
1: no um well the way that you would launch you don't they can't add more pcie lanes to the cpu but they could break it out via a chipset somehow Mm -hmm. so like take eight gen 5 lanes and make it 32 gen 3 lanes or 16 gen 4 lanes and you don't even run into any bandwidth problems Mm. if you do that um, for, for something like this, for a use case like this, having four, uh, you know, if you had two gen four X 16 slots and two X 16 gen three slots in a micro ATX motherboard, that's like the Holy grail that would solve so many problems at the edge and with small servers and, uh, and, but, you know, presumably they've done their market research and, and don't agree. Um, because you could run 16 lane network cards, 16 lane bus interface cards, 16 lane up to 16 lane, whatever. Um, but I guess modern chipsets and modern other stuff are only like four lanes or eight lanes. So, okay, whatever. Mixing, mixing old and new. So it's the home lab are in me. I can't get it out of me. Um, but I just don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're gonna do that. I'll be really excited if they do yeah, a, okay. uh, an AM 5, eight plus 16. You know, eight fast, fast with e-cash plus efficiency. But they might do, they might be, they might have that in the lab to experiment with. But I, I think the Zen 5 would be the earliest that we would see that productized.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't think, I think at this point they're like, stuff selling. No, no need to wait or to worry about that. And, and to be fair to AMD, uh, the Bergamo chiplets weren't ready until like three months ago. So they yeah. couldn't have launched at the beginning of the gen. At this point, they're, I'm sure they're thinking, why make, the new gen look any weaker than it. Let's save that for when they'll be ready at the same time. Um, well, this is kind of, I think, a good final-ish question here for you. Biscuit writes in again and says, hi, Tom and Wendell. Intel is moving from monolithic, which enables lower latencies, to a disaggregated architecture, which will inevitably increase latencies. The recent Moore's Laws Dead Zen 5 or and Zen 6 leaks suggests that AMD with Zen 5 is addressing Some of the remaining fundamental architecture bottlenecks, but still using a similar layout to what Zen 4 looks like physically. But then with Zen 6 is going to an entirely new chiplet design to approach, according to what they want, monolithic levels of performance with improved infinity fabric, lower die-to-die latencies, I think stacking like two. CCDs Mm -hmm. on top of an IO die full of cache from a purely performance perspective given how competitive AMD is to Intel currently this transition seems like it could be a slam dunk for AMD but what are your thoughts can Intel counter this if so how and is Intel's plan to disaggregate monolithic likely to work out better than AMD's plan to (laughs) monolithicize disaggregated
1: (laughs) it's all about stacking and packaging isn't it like look All we know today is that both companies are betting the farm on their very different packaging technologies. Uh, Glass substrate from Intel looks really promising. Gate all around for power delivery, uh, gate all around and power vias for power delivery. Those two different technologies look very, very promising for Intel. Uh, I don't know that we have details enough of what TSMC has planned for some of their processes or what the what the floor plan is going to be um, for Zen five. But certainly, if Zen six addresses, you know, if they're going to just do three D stacking of, of compute chiplets on the I O die.
0: The suggestion I heard is that they kind of found a way to get almost V-cache performance on something that's cheaper to make. Like V-cache, you know, you can only put it on some of them. They have to have the connectors in the silicon. But if you could make the IO die have cache that gets you like 90% of V-cache's performance without having to use V-cache, I think... Think that's their goal with Zen six, and I have no clue if they can still put more vCash on top of it. I honestly presume they could, but like I, I and you know what the other holy grail idea of this, I believe, is right now, especially if you're running a game, you have eight cores, sixteen threads. You run out of threads because the game wants to use more cores. All well latency penalty communicating with the other CCD running the same app if it's not an app meant for that type of parallelization, like. If they had a shared L three in the I O die that they're both on top of, that might remove half of those latency penalties in communicating between dies for these apps.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of clever engineering, but also some of it's moonshot engineering. So it's like, do they is is there room for a misstep, or is the engineering for that already being validated today? We don't I don't know,
0: right? Because. I mean, there's a reason they've used the same physical layout since Zen 2. <laughs> it works, you know? <laughs> like, and I mean, Intel has been moving into like eight, you know, little cores, disaggregating with Meteor Lake, and these things keep getting delayed probably because of how complex they are. I mean, even RDNA 3, I think, was yeah. supposed to come out a few months before it did. So, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a reason they haven't gone to it so quickly. It's because whatever they move to is the next thing after how Zen 2 looked.
1: Intel must be really confident in its process to have as many pieces of silicon uh, as it does. I remember when I first saw Ponte Vecchio and it's like, you know, a bajillion pieces of silicon. It's just like, uh, really, is this are we going to be able to put all these on here without breaking them? Because that seems like we're rolling the dice a lot on for one physical chip. Well, yeah. And
0: is it out now? it's all uh, right
1: it's it is it's uh it has definitely shipped in volume to at least one university right
0: so i god i remember talking about that i think at hot chips 2019 like that was something that seems to have come out a couple years late so i don't know i yeah i think amd's plan eventually here with zen six is like we got to figure out the next big thing we can't keep just improving the same layout it's getting outdated but i think it might just be one iodi 2 chiplets on top it's not going to look like ponte vecchio because i don't think they want there to be a chance against that type of delays you know and you know it's a little premature meteor lake isn't out yet Air Lake isn't out yet those are Arguably more complicated looking than I think Zen six is going to look on desktop.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we've got a chiplet for Thunderbolt, and it's like, what? Do we really need that to be its own chiplet? Like, is that? Are you just showing off?
0: Yeah, I I think hopefully, and <laughs> I think, no, I agree. I, I think eventually, what Intel hopes though is they can get this right. And then my understanding is Arrow Lake, yeah, so Meteor Lake, Arrow Lake, Panther Lake, and Nova Lake probably use the exact same layout. So Meteor likes their Zen, 2. And then they're hoping, well, if Battle Mage is delayed, we can use the Alchemist Plus tile for the graphics, and then we can use, you know, line code for the CPUs. But um, it certainly hasn't been free of issues. All right, well, I mean, I think that's all of the... Uh, well, okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this last question here because I think it's funny. QH Freddy writes in, have the arm shills finally lost? Where are <laughs> they now, shilling AI? Are people finally coming to terms with the fact the ISA isn't that important in the grand scheme of things. And it's just the overall micro architecture.
1: It for generic compute, it really is the overall micro or it really isn't the overall micro architecture. It is just being per unit compute Uh, arm still uh, arm uh, arm is still promising. Um, You need only look at what Amazon has been able to accomplish with their third, technically fourth generation Graviton stuff. Everybody always craps on me for saying that Graviton is not awful. It's not awful. Graviton is actually pretty impressive for what what Amazon has been able to do. And, you know, uh, I think Arm right now, where they are today in 2023, is definitely keeping everybody honest. But Mm. for Arm... um, they have got to they've got to keep their eye on where everything is going for the future. And there's a lot of opportunity to do things with ARM that is not necessarily on a compute core, but that can help accelerate other stuff. Like I've been doing a lot of experiments with um, Intel Quick Assist and networking and the performance delta between let's just do this with more cores and let's try to use TLS encryption acceleration with a Quick Assist you know, memory mapped IO device. That's basically what it is. It's a PCIe device, memory, memory mapped IO on, on chip. And I honestly can't believe the performance delta between those two. And, you know, it's an AMD strategy as well there with a Pensando acquisition because Pensando has a P4 packet, a bunch of P4 packet processors on a PCIe card to do things beyond just basic offloading, complex networking offloading. And it really can be the difference between thirty cores of utilization just to handle the network, and eight, um, which is a breathtaking and dramatic difference. And uh, Amazon realizes that, and that's why Amazon is using the the crap out of their ARM stuff for RDS and specialized services. They're building their stuff to do the specialized services plus the other thing. And so, from Amazon's perspective, the raw compute of the core doesn't matter as much as the specialized thing that they built it for. And I worry that some of the generic arm solutions misses the wisdom of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess what, too, I was getting to, though, is if there's a good arm product, it's because they made a good arm product, right? Not because they used arm because there's so many. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you remember, man, like three or four years ago. Man, there are so many even just like tech tube channels like arm is the future. X86 <laughs> can't keep up. And now we're looking at arm based Apple get practically no performance gains while amd and intel are leapfrogging 30 percent every one to two years and i'm like yeah doesn't seem like it was arm arm is keeping everybody honest right and arm isn't bad but i don't think it's like and i remember someone at intel telling me that a couple years ago like it's not intrinsically more efficient you know it really isn't like people keep acting like it is and i think there's just this point in time where smartphones lulled everybody into thinking they're magic when it was like well no they're just new so they don't have the cross effort, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they've been built from the ground up. There's a lot of that stuff in the back that they didn't have to deal with, but you know, if you wanted to do stuff on desktop, you have to support those old apps. Maybe they won't in the future eventually, but they don't need to remove all of x86 to do that. They just need to maybe yeah. remove some of the legacy support of x86. Yeah. There's
1: really a lot of, of forward momentum that could happen in the desktop space if you get some people that are willing to make things a little bit worse for a generation or two, in some respects, mm-hmm. everything else would be dramatically better. But no one, maybe the Linux people are probably willing to do that, but nobody else is, is willing to do that.
0: Uh, I know Intel's looked into it, but I think I heard it's really toned down. There, I, What I heard is the Royal Core project with Jim Keller. There is a variant of, I, I don't know, like whatever nova lake would use where or even panther like maybe where they were like looking into dropping a lot of legacy stuff and i what I actually what i heard is pat said sure but it better be like this level of ipc (laughs) like we better just like but and and the little course should probably be able to run the old stuff in an emergency because if we don't do that like and what i've heard is they kind of are deciding not to i think they'll drop some legacy x86 stuff but i don't think they're going to drop as much as they initially considered just because it it would have to like double ipc to be worth it they think if like you have to explain to every customer stuff
1: doesn't work uh trouble and then also ipc per watt because mobile like mobile is more important than most people are, are willing to admit in that in that space and it might not be possible to come up with something that works well in both applications, you may end up with m- mobile performance cores and mobile efficiency cores and desktop performance cores and desktop efficiency cores,
0: maybe. Right. Now, yeah, that's an interesting point too, is like maybe all those benefits really only helped if you're power constrained, it doesn't really help in any other
1: scenario. Yeah. And the, uh, with the tile approach, if you can just tile it together, however you want, uh, that'll be pretty good. But I don't think that the packaging approach is going to have far reaching ripple effects way, way outside all of this. Think about like memory packaging. What if instead of buying a DIM, you bought a mm-hmm. stack of, and it's like, literally just a thing that just clips into a, is you, you could stack all the channels and everything in one package. You don't need a PCB anymore. That Silicon real estate of 64 or 96 gigabytes of memory really isn't that much. It doesn't get that hot. Just stack them all together or have two stacks. And oh, then,
0: yeah. One of my early videos, I was like, <coughs> do we even need uh, you could can't you just have a slot for the RAM for your GPU and then you choose how much RAM it has? You know,
1: <laughs> there's like a little docking station on the side of the carrier. and So it just mm. slides in. Yeah. I mean, thinking with ubiquitous access to this level of packaging technology enables new innovative designs and some of that will solve latency issues. Some of that will solve a lot of a lot of interesting problems um samsung packaging something uh, that could be deployed you know on package unintended uh could be transformational for gpus for lowering your costs because now your assembly costs and everything else goes way Mm -hmm. way down and you get more toward that the the thing that's expensive is this one chip and then it's just put on a piece of cardboard with a couple of capacitors and a power connector, and then boom—that's your GPU. That's how we get to the the sub two hundred dollar high performance GPUs. You put all of the points into the actual thing that does the work.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see because one thing I've always wondered, and I still think I think I was just early to thinking this could be a thing anytime soon. But like we've already seen SLI and Crossfire go the way of the dodo. Because of latency issues, really, it's not just the complexity of the drivers. It, it like it's getting to a point where the latency made it you're not gaining that much more performance. I can't help but wonder if, like, in five years, there's or ten, we're to a situation where you have to start explaining to people that like this discrete GPU, um, look, if you're doing AI stuff, it's crazy fast, but for gaming, for latency reasons, these APUs are actually twenty percent worse because of the, <laughs> the latency penalty that you're getting. And when you can pack on two to one nanometer, like so many transistors, I wonder at what point is the latency to the memory the bigger issue than just how many transistors you have and like how NVIDIA would deal with that, by the way.
1: Yeah, it weren't, wasn't NVIDIA saying that they would, uh, they're just gonna do neural rendering from now on because that's just better than everything.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's i'm gonna be honest from people at nvidia i've talked to i've heard some wild things about dlss 4 and 5 and like what they're gonna try to do but
1: we don't have to us. render it we can just yeah yes. it's just uh, <laughs> I, I made this joke on the level one news that it's like you're gonna wear the uh the special DLS, dlss headband and at the right moments during the game it's just gonna use transcranial magnetic stimulation to uh, stimulate the pleasure center of your brain and it's going to be like you saw amazing graphics
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i honest to god i think amd and nvidia are working on using some of that to try to take out some of the work being done by the gpu but i don't know that we're gonna see oh yeah we'll see i mean if you can guess the frame before i see it i have I think you deserve to be a ten trillion dollar company, then. But I, I'll definitely want to see it before I believe it's happening soon.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't. It'll, I'll, I'll be here to witness it, but I, you know, I don't know.
0: I don't know. Well, you'll feel like you witness it whether you do or you don't because <laughs> of the stimulation. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that was amazing! Exactly. Uh, the more you buy, the more you save. Um, <laughs> but well, I'm, I think that's a good place to end it. Then, so um, yep. Please plug. Uh,
1: uh, at, uh, store.level1text.com you can buy a KVM or a hoodie or, or whatever or check out our YouTube channel or or anything like that or come hang out in our forum, forum.level1text.com it's all good, I'm sure there's links below or somewhere or something I was
0: going to say, uh, there will be links of course to your YouTube channel and all of that as well so please check those links out to check out all of Wendell's stuff that he did not want to dwell on plugging, thank you uh, for I- having me but I will dwell. Please subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on the YouTube channel. Uh, ring the bell button. Join the Patreon. Uh, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app of choice, and check out the sponsor links below. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening, for watching, and enjoy the week. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator. Tom, that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen and Kerry Sugata as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the About slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or no Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more if you have any extra money even a couple free dollars a month consider supporting us directly on patreon those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast die shrink voting on subjects of future podcast episodes the ability to ask guest questions and of course access to the morris Lodge Dead discord full of like-minded people who i am sure would love to meet you I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early ad free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and Loose Ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts, depending on the tier, with other perks available as well. And hey, if you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Z Daniel D, Christopher Ricks, Aaron Close, Jen Rouner, Daniel High, GZ Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Sam Miller, Deek, SNES Chalmers, Jim Ferriera, Valcom Aleb, Nicholas Buckner, Andrew S. Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Gregory Sakers, Arcastra, Evan Dingle, Greg Wancha, Chris Rich, 3DS 8 Hal Buma Hardforeroom.com, Compressed EarthBlocks, Shredver Dr. Ford, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan Blank, Franco Frederick, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Holden Mobley, Zlicky, Christopher A. Butler, Sammy Mulas, Stephen Hart, Mead and Pork, Tim Robb, Jordan Simkovic uh, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Julian Leak The Boss Haas, Daniel, Deepest Learners, Stephen, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Grow, Amiable Chief, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Roger Davies, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, Cameron, James Anderson, Cole Addict Judson and Cameron, Wesley Sager Henry Chang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Chrysantine The Eternal Dreamers, Neith Rizink, Hexapuma, Reginald Airy, Peak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Jason MH, Colin Tedards, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Seller loophole 35 Winstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany Shea, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bussel, I 711700 K, Joe Foot, Toka, Hardlim, Boss C two, Jamie Whitworth, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Javen Sebastian, Samuel Park, Earth Taurus, Keith Moore, Himsa Gun, Tales two two nine nine, Me Valverga, John Sisyphos. Venti CZ, The Forbidden Juice, Per Leekman, RB Racer, AC, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Matt, Alex Vega, Free D, Brian Wright, John Swin, Roden PC, Wen Wang, Jola Martina, Keekum, Elber Gun, Solarized 80, Trevor Renfro, Yeti, Thalo 215, Matthew Marlowe, Raisin Biscuit, Jeff Johnson, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.